Bienvenue, Konnichiwa, Nihao, Jambo, Marhaba. It's time for the Armist Inquisition again, episode 223 on Sunday, the 13th of March, 2022. I'm Armish Phil. I'm Armish Fran. I'm Armish Matt. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. And we've got Bill with us from 13 Questions Podcast. How are you doing, Bill? Hey, guys. Good. Good. Thanks for having me on. It's our pleasure. I've seen you. You've been popping up in the chat every now and again, and um, and chucking some stuff in the Discord every now and again, and sort of being a part of the magic. Yeah, making the podcast happen. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. So, um, how did you get into podcasting? What does your journey into podcasting look like? Well, my journey started with thirteen questions, and well, I guess okay. Before that, I was a listener of Gramerica, and uh, which is a bod- podcast based in uh, Canada. Darren Darren Grimes and uh, Graham Dunlop run that show, and he st- Darren started a shy- side show called Thirteen Questions. Right, so that's where I come into play. Um, he uh, he's got a lot of irons in the fire, so to speak. So he needed some help, and I volunteered to step in, and just kind of uh, he let me take it and run with the idea. So it's been great. Uh, and that started in 2019, so uh, not too much longer uh, after, you know, before before that I, is when I became a, a Freemason in 2017. So um, it was a topic I've always been interested in. And when, you know, Phil, you've been on 13 Questions before, so, like, we know each other from there. And then I heard you had another Freemason on the show. So I thought, hey, if you want to talk about this, you know. Yeah, he drops us a message yeah. on uh, on Discord or something. It might have been in the chat. I can't remember. And I'm yeah. always open for talking about Freemasonry. You, yeah, we can't stop you talking about it, can we? Well, <laughs> considering I know, I know pretty much nothing about it, because, um, well, I mean, people call it a, a secret society, but the, the way I've heard it described uh, is a society with secrets. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If it was so secret, like, I wouldn't be able to talk about it, right? <laughs> yeah, I was reading a book recently by uh, Robert Lomas, who's one of the sort of, he's quite a well-known English author as far as uh, the history of Freemasonry goes. And uh, he's quite open about what he writes in his books. Um, and the way he sort of describes it is that basically the only things that are off the table are the modes of recognition but other than that, you can pretty much, you know, the, in fact, wasn't there something about opening the lodges a while back where they invite mm-hmm, people yeah. in to see what's going on? You can find, honestly, you can find all of the questions about ritual on the internet if you want to know, because I did the exact same thing before I joined. So, yeah. well, you, you, need, you want to know how that. many chickens you're going to have to sacrifice, don't you, before you exactly. sign up? I wanted, to, I wanted to find out about the goat, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
So, yeah, but I wouldn't recommend anybody do that if you want to join just because you'll you'll ruin, you know, you'll ruin the experience. You'll spoil this, uh, you know, the surprise. It's supposed to be a, you know, a, a metaphor for a journey, right? So, yeah. When you watch a movie, you don't want to skip to the ending scene. Spoiler alert, right? So, <laughs> so is it because there's lots of different sort of uh, flavors of Freemasonry? What's what are you in? Is it York Rite or Scottish Rite or Scottish Rite? I went with Scottish Rite um, only because my Blue Lodge, which is first, second, third degree, they called it Blue Lodge, uh, was kind of a feeder. It was in the same building for the Scottish Rite Valley. Uh, in in Indiana, uh, which I belong to, so uh, just because we shared a building, I was just kind of slipped right into the uh, the Scottish Rite line. Uh, the York Rite was um, it's uh, was kind of dying off in my area, really. So I didn't really have the opportunity to so much, and uh, yeah, so that's that's how that's I guess my Masonic career thus far. I, I yeah, so yeah. So I was going to ask then, so are you allowed to say how many people are in your lodge or how many members there are? Yeah, sure. Um, We've got like less than probably 30 guys at this point. Right. Okay. So I was just wondering then, you know, kind of mentioned that the the York Rite was dying off, did you say? So is this kind of a, I think this has happened in the UK as well, where Freemasonry is getting sort of less and less uh, members, I guess, or, you know. People that sort of yeah. like joining up is that a similar sort of case? Yeah, for sure. It seems to be a dying uh, hobby, really. Um, I was the youngest guy in there for a few months, really. But a younger guy did come up, but that was it. And that, and that was in 2017. And I've been keeping tabs. I moved recently, so uh, but I've been keeping tabs, keeping tabs on my mother lodge, and we were not raising a lot of a lot of master masons and the ones that we are uh, at least that i'm aware of in the line are, are you know older like retired people this is something like retired people do now right it used to be something that uh, you know families would get their kids involved with like with the uh, day of malay societies which would be you know like boy scouts like an actual boy scout masonic boy scout program like the masons to me is just a, a morality boy scouts program for men really yeah that's uh... yeah. We alluded to that with um, our previous guest, didn't we, uh, about whether it was kind of turbo scouts for for adults. <laughs> Absolutely. Depends what you want to get out of it, I assume. Yeah. Right? Yeah, what you make of it, right? I mean, yeah, I, think I, I think I said last week, like, there'll be di- different reasons for people joining. I think back in the, like, the 60s and the 70s, a big component would have been networking. For tradesmen and plumbers. Well, and- that's the that's certainly sort of like the uh, the impression that I had of it in sort of like growing up that it was kind of mm. uh, um, I don't know shout it? network, yeah, <laughs> or like or mainly like coppers, like police basically, uh, police officers would join and it was like a you know the it was very much a middle class thing, yeah, and a handshake and a wink, yeah, and you, you got away with stuff or you know or you, you got better deals or things like that, you know. Or contracts, that kind of thing. I always sure. thought you couldn't join. You had to be invited, uh, and you had to have some sort of skill that you could you know, bring to the lodge and share trades and whatnot. But right. yeah, I had no idea. Clearly, <laughs> no. But the networking thing is still a big draw. That's yeah. that is one reason. Uh, like one group of, I don't know if you want to 
categorize people that join the fraternity or not, but there are people that are looking just for, you know, uh, fellowship and, and networking. And then there are other weirdos like me that are more into the esoteric side yeah. and, and, and things like that. Um, and, and fun fact, I believe the last time I checked that all of the founding order members of the order of the golden dawn were all masons. So like anything magical is, you know, you'll find all of those guys there too. Right. So it's a it's a mix. It's a very eclectic mix. It's interesting. That is interesting that there is definite parallels and connections between magic and Freemasonry. Uh, why? Why would that be? I think, uh, well, the main story which Freemasonry tells is the tale of Hiram Abiff. And I did catch your episode with the other brother that you had on, another Freemason. Uh, you guys were talking more about architecture and 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 kind of the the history of it and whatnot, um, which ties into the history of it does tie into, to, to magic. I'd say, um, just looking at King, King Solomon's temple, which is King Solomon is a, a character in, in the play. So in, in the, with the, that the uh, third degree tells specifically the first two leading up to the third one, but yeah. So in that tale, in the master Mason degree, um, makes references to, to building, um, well, the murder of Hiram Abiff, who was hired by King Solomon to help build the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, it just so happens, I was looking into this uh, this past week, actually. Um, Solomon, was, you know, we all know he was in Jerusalem, right? And has a lineage to Noah and whatnot and Moses. Well, they, they kicked out the Canaanites to get the land, right? So, yep. The Canaanites were, that's another name for the Phoenicians, mm. right? Which is, which is where the city of Tyre is located, which is where Hiram Abiff is from. Yes. So he, in, and there were 12 generations between, between uh, King, I think King Solomon and, and the time that Moses got to the promised land, right? So essentially what happened was the Israelites kicked, kicked the Phoenicians out of certain occupied lands. And then they waited for 12 generations and asked for help to build this immaculate temple. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that the magical things uh, just stems from the stories in the Bible. Um, King Solomon was supposed to be this dude who uh, was able to command demons and stuff and, you know, be all, uh, you know, stories. There's a bunch of stories about that character. So, you know, let your imagination run wild. And this is how you end up with things like the order of the golden dawn and, you know, um, anything of that nature really because he branches off from there um and, and before you know pre, kind of a precursor to freemasonry in, in my mind it would be like the rosicrucians yeah. the, the order uh, you know that order and uh so yeah there's always been kind of uh, a underlying alchemical hidden knowledge to this um because it is it does deal with numbers right so we're talking about geometry and uh which which speaks to uh, a language that uh is is more or less transcendent, I'd say. I think, uh, especially when you get into the quality of numbers, right? We're not just talking about uh, the quantity, right? And five is always going to be five, but what about the quality, right? What does that convey to us? And I just picked five for a random reason. I was looking at my hand, right? We got five fingers. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question or not, but... Uh, I can't remember what the question was. <laughs> no. Neither can I. 
I lo- yeah, I love the uh, the sort of well, it's like the mythology behind it all, isn't it? And I don't know why, but I, I sort of developed this obsession over recent years about the history of Judaism and theology more generally, and that sort of epoch. And because it's so important and it's so foundational to the lives that we live today, our, our entire Western society is built on this foundation of, of Judeo, the Judeo-Christian ethic. And so it's it's incredibly important, and there's there's so much mythos that surrounds the subject that it's it's interesting that Freemasonry chose that for its foundation myth. You know, it's obviously sort of harkening back to that time. And uh, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the Canaanite. It, I mean, if it's, assuming that it isn't a myth and it did actually happen, this, the whole uh, Hiram of Tyre and Hiram Abith and King Solomon, it must have been pretty weird for Hiram Abith to be returning to Jerusalem to construct a temple for Yahweh when, you know, his ancestors who would have been worshipping presumably Baal and Astaroth and all these sort of pagan deities to be returning and then uh, building a temple for Yahweh. That must have been a kick in the teeth. Yeah, that is interesting. Um and if, yeah, yeah, especially it's like taking into account the you know the story between David and Goliath. Like he was a, a Philistine, which I believe is just another name for a Canaanite. Canaanite so yeah. taking giants into into account too. Um, like why you know, the, and then you know, like I said before, the twelve generations. Like why would these people be helping each other? Like that's weird, right? <laughs> I don't have. I was thinking about that too. Like, um, I, I would say that maybe it's it's they're they're both aware of a shared history that is maybe censored from us or uh yeah maybe kept from us um not purposefully i don't think but uh it's hidden it's because we can discover it right like i just freaking found out all these things about giants just this past week right and here i am talking about it so and we can find this stuff out but uh i don't yeah what have you been finding out about giants bill Oh, just like uh, that they built, you know, that they helped build the, the temple the, uh, that the Jews used, the second temple of King Solomon. Like that was a thing. It's in the historical record. Wow. It's, they were giants. Like it's like to me, it's not that's not up for debate. <laughs> now, what's when you say in the record? So what is this in the Bible or is it in some other sources or who's, who's writing the, where the records coming from? Do you know? Well, I could, I could, uh, sorry to put you on the spot. Well, no, just by going off the stories told in the Bible. Um, I'm a big fan of the Nephilim. You see, you do like the Nephilim, don't you? Yes. That goes back to, to, you know, pre flood times. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, the whole Genesis 6 conspiracy. <laughs> Have you guys talked about that at all? We had uh, Ken Ami on, didn't we? Like yeah. two years ago. And he's yeah. just having he, none of it. No, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. He came. He specifically came on, didn't he, to tell us that there were, there were no giants. There was no giants post-flood. No. See, it, but, it's interesting it, because you can spin this any way that you want. Like I could, I could take the story of Noah and turn that into this dude coming in to earth from a with the, from a spaceship right because the flood you know, the waters the waters of of the heavens above the firmament or whatever well, you know that could be a spaceship so depending on how you translate your sources you could come up with any story you want really 
but what's the truth? I mean, that's what I'm interested in. Yeah. And giants, giants seem to be, I don't know why, but it seems to be something that's censored uh, because the Smithsonian Institute here in America, like is everybody that's done a little bit of truth research into the giants and Smithsonian knows that the Smithsonian Institute scoops up these skeletons and we never hear about them again, but you can find old pictures on the internet of, of, of people that have taken like living giants <laughs> taken next to of course these are called anomalies nowadays but mm. that doesn't explain why they would need to mass manu- mass manufacture weapons on, on this size like, that archaeologists are digging up and uh and and, and whatnot you know I'm, I'm a big uh archaeology geek too so cool. just by you know you know hunting around on the internet doing doing research that way looking at old pictures really and uh yeah i got a buddy that does uh stolenhistory.net website they curate a lot of interesting info on a number of topics really not just giants but yeah just internet researching i would the yeah, so yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. But <laughs> you, you should get uh, Gary Wayne on 13 questions. I'd love to, yeah. In fact, I think I put him on my guest wish list after. Yeah, uh, our guest wish list is like uh, ever-growing. Just it just goes on and on and on. Yeah, we need to do like five podcasts a week to even get close to. Yeah, but our listeners need to donate more money before we can do that. <laughs> No, but we'll talk about that more later. Yeah. You, you're on the, the value for value model, aren't you, Bill? Yep. 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 How's that uh, working sure. out for you? <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> fucking uh, shit, isn't it? <laughs> fucking shit, isn't it? I if just want to I want to bend over and let Jeff Bezos just have his way with me. Well, um, Live Nation was going to offer us $10 <laughs> and you said no to that. I know, on principle. <laughs> you, you must be doing better, Bill. Uh, do you well, get. Do you, um, this was a a paid actually 13 questions was a paid a second hour type situation when darren conceived of the project but when i took over we agreed to make it value for value um, and i think since then we've had uh one person sign up for a monthly <laughs> donation so <laughs> yeah <it's>, but, <coughs> from, that, that isn't what is important what what is important it's, it's a, like, truly a labor of love and i love talking to people especially across the pond like i love the difference in culture and different perspectives and uh yeah apparently different time zones don't don't like it's <laughs> <laughs> so going back to um freemasonry you said yeah. uh scottish right is that the one that goes up to 33 degrees oh it goes up to 32 uh 33 is more of an honorary degree to my understanding and the uh, in order to get 33 uh you basically it's just a recognition of this guy has done a ton of work for the fraternity in some capacity a lot of 33 degree members that i know of have been lodge secretaries for a number of years uh, which is an office within the lodge um, which we elect at least here in america we have elections uh, to to put those people into office and this one uh, because it is uh, more or less of a you don't really want a transitory secretary. You want somebody that knows the connections between the Grand Lodge and your lodge and other lodges. So the person that volunteers for this job oftentimes does it and takes on more or less a second job in doing so. Wow. So uh, just to recognize things like that, um, people will receive the 33rd degree. 
the 32nd one, the 32nd degree is the highest that, uh, that any, any run of the mill person can just go sign up for and get these right. So 32 would, would top out unless, you know, you want to sit around for 15 years and wait for someone to nominate you for this 33rd degree. Um, that's the way it works, uh, to my understanding, at least. <laughs> so you have a, a secretary. Is there, is there sort of three leaders, if you like? You've got Worshipful Master and Secretary and something else, is it? Uh, we have uh, Worshipful Masters, Senior Warden, uh, Junior Warden. Uh, those are kind of the three uh, officers of the court, so to speak, because the inside of a lodge room is very reminiscent of a courtroom, and I believe there is a reason for that but we'll get, we might get into that later. Um, but the lodge secretary and the treasurer, uh, they kind of sit off in the corners behind the, the um, master of the lodge. So yeah, they're, they're near him and up front. If that answered your question. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, it's the three is symbolic and it's, it's sort of analogous to the three people yeah. behind the construction of the temple, Solomon, Hiram Abiff and Hiram of Tyre. It's the same. It was the same with the Royal Society when that was founded. They had, uh, I can't remember the name of the, oh, president, was it? I can't remember. And then two wardens. Seems that a lot of, well, a good chunk of the Royal Society founders, of which there were 12 originally. Holy Trinity. um, Were, had Freemasonic foundings. And they took a lot of principles from Freemasonry. So one thing, um, you're not supposed to do as far as I'm aware in the, in the lodge bill is two things that are off limits, the discussion of politics and religion. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And that strictly applies to while lodge is in session and while lodge is quote unquote in session, we're conducting business on like how much money did we bring in today or this month and how, how much bill, how much did we spend on bills? Were there any, any brothers that needed a charitable donation? If so, how much did they get? You know, um, it's so in my, in my experience in stated meetings, which is what we call them here. Uh, we hold, hold them once a month and it is literally just a business meeting. It's very dry and boring. So unless you have a reason to bring up, you know, something like politics or religion for a practical purpose, other than just debating it. Like <laughs> don't do that. Other people, because people are here as, you know, they, they got other shit to do too, right? Let's get, get our business done and leave. It's not, it, it's more administrative than, than anything. Right. Really? Uh, we also, you know, vote on new members and read petitions and stuff. So other, other stuff is accomplished. It's not just counting money. Uh, don't oh. get me wrong. That's the most boring part of the meeting is the treasurer's report. So are you allowed to talk about the voting process? Yeah. What do you want to know about it? Well, I, I th- I'm sure I read somewhere that the term blackballing comes from the the way free, free mas- Freemasons vote someone in. So it has to be yeah. unanimous, doesn't it? And uh, that's the, the, well, you explain it, Bill, you know. Right. Yeah. So uh, we have a ballot. Um, and in the ballot is a box, it's a wooden box, and it's full of uh, black uh, uh, orbs and uh, white cubes, right? Weird, right? Square in the be- circle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a yes vote is a white cube. Right. And black is, you know, black is a no. Oh, so black bold. Yeah. So if you get a black, it has to be unanimous. So if you get one, no, 
that's not good. Yeah. Mm. It's a lot of networking you've got to do then. I don't think so. <laughs> I think uh, no. That's you're right. That's the other thing. I had I didn't know anybody in my lodge when I joined. I simply mm. asked for a petition, and at the end of the petition, at the, towards the bottom of the piece of paper, you need signatures, right? And I'm like, well, I don't know anybody. I don't know. I don't know any masons, and they. They just signed it for me. Like, I just met these guys. Like, oh, yeah, we'll sign it. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. We're desperate. Yeah. <laughs> You're the youngest yeah. person we've seen for 30 years. Yeah, I mean, I was like 20 years younger than those guys, for real. Because <laughs> I think back in the day, you would have had to have a sponsor of some sort, or, or like Ben, you, you intimated maybe it was invite only. I mean, maybe that was a long, long time ago. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people's, like, dads were Masons, right? Yeah. So it just kind of was a family thing. So that would be your sponsor. Kind of like how uh, Catholics kind of have a, the confirmation, the sacrament of confirmation. You need a sponsor for yeah. that. It's kind of the same thing. It's it's more of a symbolic, uh, you know, somebody that you know. I mean, it's just part of the process, right? It doesn't, to me, anyway, it, it's it's not important, really. Because then you get, after you are accepted and voted in, you be, you get a mentor who is you know helps you with memory work to to in order to advance degrees you have to memorize a bunch of stuff. So the sponsor can often times become your mentor afterwards. Uh, mine were completely all different people, <laughs> so I guess it really just depends on how connected you are to the fraternity when you're starting off with. Would be my conjecture. Can you hear me? Yep. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, you mentioned about um, it being in session and being a bit like a courtroom. Yeah. What's yeah, all yeah, that yeah, yeah. What's all that about? Um, I was going to look for the uh, the three great lights, actually, because you had mentioned three. I've actually got this little book here called the Indiana Monitor and Freemason's Guide, and we get this after... Uh, completing our third degree and it's all in plain english so it's not in cipher which is what they make us use to memorize uh, a bunch of stuff which is fun <laughs> uh, so um in, in 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 here i'm surprised at the amount of information that is just laid out and completely um i was given the okay to like read from this thing if i wanted to right mm. so it's in no way like censored um but uh, yeah, in, in regards to like the courtroom, um, you you do have like wardens, like that's a you, there's wardens in a courtroom, right? You have a junior warden and a senior warden, and these are more or less officers uh, of the uh, the master of the lodge. Uh, the junior warden um, is in charge of the well being of uh, over overseeing the well being of its members. I can probably find the closing. Like when we open and close, it might be in this book or not, but uh, he's in charge of making sure that if someone's sick, you call this, this guy and he'll let the lodge know and the lodge will, you know, make sure you have enough money to pay your bills or whatever. Right. You know, maybe your kids need to be picked up and taken to school and they can help out with that. It depends on how, how tight knit your community is. Right. But uh, just go. Yeah. So the courtroom thing, um, that's that, that I think that goes back into more of the uh, magical aspect of the fraternity 
and and really the magical aspect of courtroom too because let's face it i mean there's a bible in every courtroom and so who are they deferring to right and uh it's, you know that's what freemasonry talks about you know the, the grand architect of the universe yeah, I mean, part of the thing in uh, if you appear in court is swearing on the Bible, isn't it? Um, there's nothing to stop people lying, but you're sort of you're you're putting yourself um, at the mercy of a higher power in that regard when you give your ev- evidence, aren't you? So a similar sort of theme. Yeah, you're te- when you're in court, you're testifying, so you're you're. Uh, swearing on the Bible, but if you break down the word testify, I think, and I might be completely wrong um, because I don't have sources for this. It's just the research I've done. But uh, when, when a man went to testify in front of court, he would, he would hold his testicles and if, as a testament to, to saying that if I'm telling a lie, then you cut these off. Right. So uh, <laughs> it's interesting to bit on that word. Um, yes. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Intro- also, in in Freemasonry, you don't have to use a Bible to to take your oaths on, or your which or your obligation is what uh, we call them here. Your obligations on it, it can be any book that you want, just as long as it is you know a higher acknowledges a higher power other than the individual. Right? It can't be an atheist. Is is the main point here? Right. Belief, um, yeah, belief in a supreme being. So you could take your oath on mm. the Quran or the Torah or the Bible or whatever. I wonder um, if there's an, mm. No, go on, say. I was going to wonder if someone's like taking their oath on a copy of 1984 or something. <laughs> well, you said. Very precious. Yeah, you were talking about when we were talking. A bit far away. Talking to David mm. um, Harrison, you said um, that he had said that there was a Wiccan. Had done it, Wicked. Yeah, I think he did, didn't he? Yeah. So I wonder like, what book they they swore on then. I don't know. Alistair Crowley, <laughs> transcendental magic. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, but it was like he was just kind of saying he was just a belief in a higher power, wasn't it? Anyway, uh, I just wanted to ask as well, Bill. You mentioned about a cipher. So before yeah. it's to get to your third degree, everything is in cipher. You have to learn. You. Mm-hmm. you have to learn, sort of like you have to sort of put th- things through a cipher to sort of decode it or whatever. It's um, a exchange of questions and answers. Right. Okay. And the questions and answers it teaches you like what certain symbols and signs mean that are used to convey the meanings of Freemasonry or whatever. So, um, and in order for it to be kept secret and make us feel special, we like to take one letter from each word and, you know, that's what we re- use to read right. uh, the questions and answers. So we put them together and maybe some, maybe some words are capitalized to denote, like, uh, hey, this is the Holy Bible, like HB or whatever, right? So um, and it, it really is more to facilitate learning. It's a learning tool. Okay. And... Because we want, I, I think, I think the aim here is to actually teach people something, right? So, to, and to, instead of, you know, how do you teach somebody something is, you know, through parables or or allegories, right? And assigning meaning to to symbols and whatnot. So it's just kind of 
it's like re rereading your notes if you're studying for a test, basically, because in some lodges you will be asked to to perform this uh, question and answer sequence in front of your lodge brethren during lodge in order for you to kind of uh, progress to the next stage. Uh, I did not have to do that because uh, my lodge was struggling. So, <laughs> and I'm just part, part of I, that. I did memorize everything though, so yeah. I did do that. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't just let me skate through. I had. I had a good uh, mentor that. I'm sure that I understood everything as I was memorizing it, so I am thankful for that. It's making me think of a bar mitzvah for some reason, and memorizing is you do memorize something in the Torah or something for your bar mitzvah, and you have to stand up in front of your family and read it out, don't you? Essentially, it's sounding something similar. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't heard. Could be. I've never had one. Never no, had I've never had a bar mitzvah. I've only ever seen them on films. <laughs> so, that must be true then. So, uh, and TV shows too. Um, but I'm pretty sure you have to memorise a part of the Torah, don't you? And mm. they sing it and in front yeah. of like, your family. Yeah, the, the, the memorisation thing's a key part. And mm. as far as I'm aware as well, Bill, part of that is that once you have these sort of modes of recognition memorised, that enables you to go to other lodges. So you can go to a lodge in another city or another state and it, it, it stops you from, you know, going into somewhere where you, you haven't reached the appropriate degree or whatever. Right. Um, they also give you a membership card that you can just show. Oh, even better. <laughs> Mason. Is it, is, it bio, is it biometric? It's got a barcode on it and it's all categorized. <laughs> and it's kind of it, base. Does like, it um, link, link to your dermal microchip as well? I don't know. It's, <laughs> I've got some profile on, on the internet under there for, I don't know. It's, it's, not, it's not anything. Uh, they don't have my DNA or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> not as far as you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. <laughs> no. But, uh, yeah. I don't... How um, Have you done much research into sort of tracking... Freemasonry back through time. Uh, other than connecting King Solomon and giants and whatnot, like, like coming over from I mean, America. That's a big, from, I mean, that's like that's a big jump, isn't it? <laughs> from like seventeen seventeen to mm-hmm. nine hundred, uh, eight hundred BC. Yeah, so that stuff kind in of the make, mean in the middle. The middle, yeah. Well, uh, I think a big chunk of that middle part probably has to do with the Rosicrucians. Mm. I think that uh, there was kind of a precursor to um, really all secret, not all secret societies, but um, at least the Masons, because uh, it's kind of referred to as the Invisible College. Michael Wan talks a lot about this. You guys familiar with Michael Wan? Susquehanna Alchemy. Yeah, Yeah, he used to have a series of videos on his website that kind of went into this, and... uh, it brought up um, one of the Bacons, Roger or Francis and, and Shakespeare and how they're related or had a hand in, you know, not only writing the King James Bible, but in the Rosicrucians and the founding of America and, 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 you know, which leads us back to um, how Freemasonry got into America, which I, I did kind of earmark a page in this little book, oh. which is going to from it because it does a nice little job of explaining I can find it. So give me just a second. Funny you mentioned the Invisible College. Did I? No, uh, Bill just did. Because <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mentioned the Royal Society. Yeah. 
Well, the invisible college was a term coined by, I think it was Boyle, who was either in the first 12 members of the Royal Society or he was shortly uh, invested after that. And he, he came up with that term, the invisible college. From the founding of the Royal Society, this period of the Restoration, just after yeah. Cromwell, Oliver Cromwell and, uh, and all that. Was he referring to an entity outside of the Royal Society? No, apparently he was referring to the Royal Society. He, he called it our, our Invisible College. That's, oh, so that's what I've heard. It. Okay. But I think it goes back further. Like you mentioned Bacon. Bacon's uh, a couple of decades earlier than that. And, yeah. uh, oh, well, tell you what. Tell you what. Hang on one second. Uh-oh. So, so when the Royal Society was founded... A couple of years after they were founded, they commissioned uh, a history book to be written. Right. And uh, I can't remember the name of the author. I'll find it out for a later date. <laughs> but they had like a, um, a presentation copy given to the Royal Society a couple of years after it was founded. Mm-hmm. And um, the picture on the front of the book has, I think it's Charles II in the position of uh, Worshipful Master. Um, and then the two wardens, one is Sir Robert Moray, who was pretty much the founder of the Royal Society, and the other warden is Francis Bacon, who was dead by then, by maybe 30 or 40 years. So the Royal Society, Invisible College, they took a lot of their inspiration, it seems, from Francis Bacon. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Um, so it sounds like they just kind of made a claim and went ran with it <laughs> which is you know a lot to be said to that actually but uh as far as the actual um what was i going with that coming to america i did find that page freemasonry comes to america but uh oh, wow. oh yeah the royal society to my knowledge like that wasn't that kind of created because the the royals were kind of afraid of losing influence in the culture so they made this propaganda machine branch arm of thing to promote themselves in society right isn't that kind of like the aim of the royal society the the fact the fact the main aim at the beginning was naval power okay so what what we going where are we we're about 1660 something like that so the colonies are just about starting um the dutch have colonies on the east coast New Amsterdam, mm-hmm. um, and the French are active as well. The British Navy sucks nuts. It's terrible. And uh, that was part of the inspiration for Robert Moray was to... He was also a spy. He was a spy. He was he, he was flipping sides between the English and the French. And um, It was during this period, uh, towards the end of Cromwell and the Civil War, and then the restoration of the monarchy. So it was Charles II, when he was restored, he became the first patron of the Royal Society. Who um, was in charge before him? Cromwell. And then uh, he died. The, the monarchy, though, instead of... Well, Crom- Cromwell was the... Um, what would you call him? The uh, Lord Protector. He was the uh, um, emperor, essentially. That the um, Charles I was de- beheaded, Oliver Cromwell takes over. We have a civil war, 
and then which lasts about 12 years or so. And then Cromwell dies. His son is no good, not up to a job. And then eventually the monarchy returns from France with Charles the second and is restored. And so we have Stuarts back on the throne. So it's an incredibly turbulent period of history. We've just gone through 12 years of civil war. We've got, um, great fire of London, black death, all happening at this sort of period. Um, restoration of the monarchy. And then you get this sort of underground movement, this congregation of scientists setting up with spies in them, Freemasons, how to build up the Royal Navy. It's weird. It's a weird period of history. But where so, is, go on. Uh, where's Queen Elizabeth the first fall in the timeline? She's earlier. Like years. She's, uh, she's like the Tudor, back end of the Tudors. Much earlier. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So Tudor, Elizabeth the first, the Virgin Queen dies, and we've got a guest coming on not so long who says that the Virgin Queen Elizabeth the first is actually the mother of uh, Roger uh, Roger Bacon, <laughs> Francis Bacon. But that's for another episode. Yeah. Yeah. So Elizabeth the first dies, and she says, "Give the crown to James, the Scotch bloke, James, King of Scotland." So then James the sixth, is it? Yeah, James the sixth of Scotland becomes James the first of England, and we believe he was Freemasonry Freemason as well. James the first. Interesting, because I know that um, Queen Elizabeth was uh, in cahoots, so to speak, with John D. Doctor Doctor John D. Are you familiar with Doctor D. and, and Edward Kelly? Double O seven. Yeah, John yeah. D. Yeah, first, the mad. first James Bond. Oh. <laughs> yeah, one of yeah, Elizabeth's spy masters. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was into cult and magic and all the rest of it as well, wasn't he? And ciphers. But uh, go back to where uh, Freemasonry going to America. How how far back can yeah. we trace that to? Sure. Uh, it says here in this little book, uh, there has been much speculation concerning the presence of Freemasonry in America prior to 1717. But apparently, no acceptable evidence has been forthcoming to confirm this contention. It is known, however, that speculative masonry, as represented by individual masons, did appear in the American colonies soon after the first Grand Lodge of England was organized. These earliest American masons were members of English lodges who had emigrated to the New World and also colonists who had been initiated during their return visits to the mother country. Daniel Cox, a lawyer of Burlington, North Jer- New Jersey, was the first provincial Grand Master of Masons in America. Under date of June 5, 1730, he was deputized by the Duke of Norfolk. Norfolk? Norfolk. Grand Master, yeah. Grand Master of England to be provincial Grand Master for New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Quote, for the space of two years from the Feast of St. John the Baptist, next ensuing, end quote. However, historians have found no record to indicate that he ever exercised his powers. The first lodge in America, of which there is documentary evidence, was in Philadelphia as early as 1730. It, is, uh, it, is, it held its meetings in Old Tun Tavern, apparently existing as an, quote, immemorial rights lodge. Such lodges were not uncommon in colonial days. In fact, the lodge at Fredericksburg, in which George Washington was made a mason, undoubtedly operated by that authority. 
1733, another group of Masons in Boston had been meeting as an immemorial rites lodge. Uh, on April 13th of that year, Anthony, Lord Viscount Montague, Grandmaster of Masons in England, deputized Henry Price, a Boston tailor, as Provincial Grandmaster of New England and dominions and territories thereunto belonging. At the request of 18 Master Mason petitioners, Grandmaster Price did, on July 30th, 1733, constitute them into a regular lodge. Later known as, quote, First Lodge, it is now St. John's Lodge of Boston, the oldest regularly constituted lodge in the Western world. And that's where I'll stop reading, because it does go on, and I've got cotton mouth, so... Well, there is this sort of thing that um, is funny. It takes the Grand Lodge to be created in 1717 uh, until all this sort of written evidence appears. And there's an element of... There's political intrigue in all this because of the situation in England. Um, And it goes back to the monarchy and, and Jacobites and stuff and why Scottish masonry was suppressed in a way, from from the late 17th century to the early 18th century. Yeah, the whole Scottish thing is super interesting to me. Um, that's the next paragraph in this book. Yeah, uh, the English monarchy, you know, didn't want to give any power to Jacobites, Catholics. Um, and so they, they sort of created the... Well, I'm like talking like I know anything. They sort of created this Grand Lodge of England, and they put... Uh, monarchy at the head, which we still have today. It's like mm-hmm. a, I don't, can't remember who David said it is. It's a duke or something. Isn't yeah, it? it's a duke or something mm-hmm. is the uh, head of, of masonry. And so that we have this sort of splintering off, don't we, between the, the Scottish and the and English, English Freemasonry. But I find it hard to believe that there wouldn't have been Scottish masons earlier than that date, whatever it was, 1730, earlier, you know, in the colonies, yeah, um, in 1754, another group of Masons in Boston applied to the Grand Lodge of Scotland for a warrant to organize a lodge under its authority. <laughs> right. Yeah, so accordingly, two years later, St. Andrew's Lodge Number 82 was set to work under a Scottish charter. In 1769, three military lodges attached to regiments not domiciled in Boston united with St. Andrew's Lodge in petitioning the Grand Lodge of Scotland, requesting the appointment of a provincial Grand Master. The petition was granted, and Dr. Joseph Oren, who lost his life in the Battle of Bunker Hill, was made Provincial Grand Master of Masons in Boston, and, quote, within 100 miles of the same. So it kind of goes on from there. But, yeah, so there's two, I guess there's two, there's two Grand Lodges. England and yeah. yeah. One of the big differences, it seems, is that, going back to when the schism was, is that the, the English Lodge has always been headed by a member of the aristocracy or a monarch, whereas, as far as I'm aware, the Scottish lodges elect um, their leaders. And after a certain point, the Scottish lodges used to have a hereditary master, and it was passed down through the St. Clair family. You're familiar with William of St. Clair? I am familiar with that name, um, the last name, um, not the character in particular, but uh, 
it is interesting that the Scottish Scott, the difference between the two. Um, your guests that you had on previously when discussing the uh, the history had mentioned that uh, it was traced back to the early 1500s, which is the same Sinclair. date that I've came to in my own research. I've seen a document from like 1522 or something like that. I can't remember the exact date, but it was from a lodge in Edinburgh. Right. So it's Scotland. So there's historical documents prior to 1717 of speculative Masons, like starting to to come into the fraternity. Right. First, it's the fraternity starting to evolve from operative to speculative as far back as the early 1500s. Yeah. From I, what I can see. I think so, earlier, because um, William of St. St. Clair, who built... Um, that man, what's it called? Rosebury, not Rosebury Abbey, up in uh, Scotland from the Da Vinci Code. That chapel, Roslyn Chapel, Roslyn, Roslyn Chapel, um, which is just oozing with like Freemasonic symbolism, and uh, we've got the two pillars there: the Apprentice Pillar and the Master's Pillar. And there is a carving somewhere which seems to depict one of the parts of Freemasonic initiation, and there's all sorts going. Uh, linking that place to Freemasonry, and the Scottish Freemasons them, themselves say that their that um, the Sinclair family was their patron, was their was their leader, and it was passed down hereditarily through this family line up until this point where they got someone who wasn't fit for the job, in maybe the seventeenth century, and that's when they made the switch to electing their uh, head of Freemasonry. Mm. So. Because I love this because it ties into Knights Templars and stuff. Uh, William of William St. Clair. But I don't know. It's like sort of threads going back through history, very thin threads connecting things together. And um, it's hard to like sort of have hard evidence for these sort of things. I mean, it doesn't help that it's a secret, a society with, with secrets. <laughs> What what do you yeah. get out of it? What what's what do you get out of it, Bill, when you go to the meetings? Personally, um what I've gotten out of the fraternity, I mean, I made a good friend that I didn't know uh before joining the lodge. Uh, we are both uh Dungeons and Dragons nerds, so we ended up doing a campaign together for a few years. So, I mean, personally that enriched my life that way. Um I did spend a little a bit of time in the officer line for the lodge uh, simply because uh, they needed people to do that. So <laughs> what, what does that I mean? The officer line. Uh, that means that you would assist in opening and closing the lodge. And eventually <sighs> if you stayed in it for uh, a number of years, you would eventually get to be the, uh, the master of the lodge, right? So you would go through, you'd, you would get to be uh, in one officer seat per year and then kind of move up the chain, move up the ranks until you're head honcho and you get to be head honcho for a year. Right. right. Which, which of course you must be elected to, but within lodge politics, it's kind of already understood who, who is going to do what before we all um, decide oh, that. Like, like politics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not, not, uh, anything to do with um, voting on new members, uh, admitting new members into the lodge? A different voting process, by the way. So when you so you have like your your monthly meeting where you do like the housekeeping. Sure. Um, yeah. What are, what are like the things you do outside of that? Where, where do you learn about these territory stuff? Uh, that is what we would refer to as Masonic education. 
And that is something which is up to the members of the lodge to facilitate. And this can be anything from how to change a flat tire and balance your banking account or checkbook to to uh, what exactly does the square and compass represent and how can we break it down uh, metaphysically, right? So it's it's really um, depends on the culture of the lodge in the area in which you join, which is why it, uh, I would suggest anybody looking to do so um, reach out to your local lodges and they probably have a dinner of some sort. Go and meet with the guys first and get a feel of about, you know, just soak up some vibes and feel it out first, right? Just yeah. not because it's going to be bad or anything, just make, make, you want to make sure it's the right fit for you, right? Some, some, some uh, lodges can be more uh, blue collar. Some can be more white collar. Um, it's very eclectic. Uh, there are ones that focus more on education. So uh, if you're interested in something like that, it's going to be easy to spot which ones are, are talking about, uh, the more esoteric topics and which ones are more worried about, not worried about, but uh, more kind of focused on uh, pancake breakfasts and, uh, you know, parades, right? So, which, you know, they, ideally every lodge would do everything, right? But there's only so many talents that everybody possesses, right? So. I didn't realize there'd be that much sort of discrepancy between different lodges, like how they operate and what they focus on and stuff. I thought it'd be more hegemonic. That a word? <laughs> Don't know if that's a word. Yeah, well, the um, the other meetings really are uh, rehearsals, from my experience, to right. to put on the degrees to initiate new members that want to join. So when you step into an officer, uh, and you step into the officer line, you are expected to to help, uh, you know, usher in new people and, and guide them through, you know, what you experienced going through. So you have to memorize more stuff (laughs) it's not just the question and answers uh, sequence in order to progress to the degree to get to master mason you then have to go back and memorize like uh maybe a lecture about the apron or uh working tools or you know um the whole question and answer sequence that you had to memorize to get to a next degree is included in the degree. So you can memorize that even more if you wanted to. Right. Right. So it's, uh, they're really, um, uh, amateur actors, uh, when it, when it comes to putting on degrees in the lodge room, like I was lucky enough to have an organist in mind, like, so I had organ music as I was, you know, walking around. No, <laughs> uh, it, it, but I, again, I was in a big old building, and it happened to be there. So you're not going to find that in in every lodge room. So it really depends on you know the locale. Yeah. How? It, Sorry, yeah. we're going to say something then. No, I was just going to say, which is why I think it's so interesting uh, masonry over in the UK because you guys have got old buildings and shit over there. So <laughs> the culture is much more. Uh, um, I don't know. Uh, friendly to fraternal organizations like that i think that yeah, it's um, i don't know if i'm wrong about that or not but it just seems i mean it was it came over from america from you know from england so we have roots over there and we all in order to be considered not a clandestine lodge you have to trans uh, trace your roots back to uh, your charter has to come from a lodge that has its charter from a lodge that has its charter from and so back and so forth to the Grand Lodge of England or right. I guess that one, right? So Right, yeah. Oh, yeah. You uh, you mentioned the apron there. 
So mm-hmm. you, so they'll so some lodges they'll have like they'll pick one a part of the regalia or something and then like do sort of lectures or lessons on what this actually means because you think of a stonemason and apron well it's probably got tool pouches for your tools and it stops you getting you know chips of stone mm-hmm. beating your crotch protects your your genitals well yeah that's the other thing when you testify. Yeah, it covers you, your testicles. It covers your testicles. That's when you something testify. we learnt. So, it, so is there some sort of deeper uh, symbolic significance to the apron itself? Yeah, um, I know that the aprons kind of work a little differently over in the UK, um, as far as like the decorations, uh, regalia on it go. But what we get when we uh, are uh, raised to the sublime degree of a master mason uh, is a white, a plain white apron. And we uh, keep that uh, tucked away, and it will be put on our uh, casket if we so wish when we die, if we wish when we die. So that that is the role of uh, the apron, uh, at least in a practical sense. Um, the ones that we use in lodge are, are just kept at the lodge, right? And they're just kept there. So I think over in the UK, the apron might be a little bit more like personal. And uh, I don't know. I think it might look a little bit cool, you know, more cool looking. But <laughs> they, they tend to be sort of sky blue, and they have a lot of sort of fancy embroidery on them, like gold thread embroidery or silver thread embroidery on them. They're very ornate, very decorative pieces of appar- apparel. <laughs> apparel. <laughs> They're not definitely not plain white. Yeah, I've got uh, a little a little snippet in this book about mm. the apron. You want me to read it real quick? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It says it's uh, the badge of a mason. The lambskin or white leather apron is an emblem of innocence and the badge of a mason. More ancient than the golden fleece or Roman eagle. More honorable than the star and garter or any other order that could be conferred upon you at this time or any future period by king, prince, potentate, or any other person except he be a mason. I hope you will wear it with equal pleasure to myself or to yourself and to honor the fraternity. So that that is actually an excerpt from the uh, uh, ritual itself. So. Right. Giving out yeah. secrets away, Oh, yeah. It's in this book, and <laughs> I was given permission to read from this book. <laughs> so that's in, so the material that it's made of is significant. It's lamb's skin. You know, the lamb is innocent. It's pure. There are sacrificial yeah, conversations. Passover. To, yeah, Passover lamb. Yeah. So, yeah, these things aren't chosen by accident. Or, or are they? Maybe they are, and then we can just extrapolate all this meaning from it. It's hard to tell sometimes, isn't it? What about what other regalia? Well, what what else do you other than the oh white gloves? Do you have white gloves over there in the states? Uh, we've I've only ever worn those for funeral services, and wow. that's more just for to look fancy, right? To look, you know, you wear a suit and tie to a funeral put some white gloves on your step above everyone else right <laughs> i'm sure there is some symbolic reasons for the white gloves of some sort of similar ideas signs of purity or cleanliness or something like that i'm guessing there must be a deeper meaning probably i won't um, know i don't have anything that comes to the top off the top of my head you haven't done that that degree yet how many degrees have you done 
well, the interesting thing is to get your 32nd degree in Scottish Rite, you don't actually have to go through all 32 degrees. <laughs> so you go through the, you know, one through three, which is Master Mason. And then from there, um, there's four, the Scottish Rite is broken down into four sub, uh, I don't know, subcategories of degrees. And each category doesn't have the same number of degrees. So that makes it even more confusing, but essentially you have to watch one degree from each subcategory before you can get your 32nd degree. Right. So you need to do your first three and then another four minimum? Yeah, yeah. and then the 32nd will be right. after that. So it would be three, four, five, yeah, so eight. I can do math. Yeah, eight. <laughs> and like how much... You know, say you wanted to pick one of these sort of extra degrees over and above the third degree. How much sort of time are we talking about? How much time do you have to commit to be able to do that? Well, this, the Scottish Rite uh, degrees are are plays. So you sit there and you watch them. So maybe, you know, depending on the degree, it, it could take anywhere from 15 minutes to 45 minutes or... You know, uh, if they want to get like super extravagant and, you know, use a bunch of props and, and whatnot or, or even host it outside, you go to a different location, it could take, you know, hours. So the actual uh, ritual can take hours. Well, it's a play. It tells yeah. a story. It's not a ritual so much as you're watching a movie. Like they literally have these on DVDs that people can sit in a room and watch and say that you've got your, you know, 17th degree or whatever. Right. Right. Who so, filmed that? And yeah. who, who are the actors in it? Like regular Masons, at least in the state of Indiana. Right. I mean, just you know, we put it together for ourselves because right, okay. a lot of people don't have time to do this anymore. Like, who yeah. has the time to be an amateur actor in between <laughs> working nine to five and doing whatever else you got to do? Right? <laughs> yeah, true. But back in the day, you did right, like. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in the winter time, like it is here over there too. I'm guessing it's still cold and snowy out the window. But like, if you're not plowing the field, you got nothing else to do but sit inside and come up with plays, right? <laughs> yeah, we had so so much fewer distractions. You That's know, a couple thing, of hundred years ago, mm. most of us couldn't read. Mm. <laughs> There's no TV. <laughs> There's no radio. No internet. Yeah, let's make up some mystery plays. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Let's make up some esoteric plays. Yeah. What else are we going to do? What are you going to do? Shag, probably. Oh, boring. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Well, um, we're rocking up past an hour already. I'm just checking the clock now. We've gone over an hour already, Bill. I believe how quick it goes. Yeah. Um, Is there anything you want to say before we go? About 13 questions or anything? Ah, uh, about 13 questions. Well, I'll um, just say it if you want to plug your podcast or whatever. Oh, oh uh, I thought you, yeah. Um, yeah, we did it already, but you do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from, no, dude, I just, I love talking, I love talking about weird stuff. About, you know, about <laughs> weird things, stuff so I weird thought I'd people. pop over. What's that? What's that? No, I was just saying, sorry, talking to weird people. Yes. And yeah, about weird great. things. Yeah. Are you allowed to say, like, what you've got in the pipeline with 13 questions, what you've got in the can sure. or coming up? Yeah, yeah. Um, aside from the Keith Abraham episode that should be dropping, uh, hopefully by the time this 
gets published. It'll be out already. Um, but this week, uh, we have two recording episodes, which is unusual because I usually try to keep it to once a week. Um, but on Tuesday, we are supposed to be recording with uh, Mike Romanelli Jr., who is an owner of a uh, comedy club here in uh, New Jersey, I believe, somewhere on the west or on the east coast. Wow. I'm I'm in Michigan, so I'm not different, you know, same time zone, but far away. Um, and so anyway, uh, Mike Romanelli Jr. is on Tuesday, and then we have another guest uh, recording set up um, uh, Denver Michaels, who is a uh, kind of a crypto uh, crypto researcher, cryptozoologist. Oh wow! Zoology. Yeah, so he talks. He he talks about giants. So I'm sure. Hopefully, yeah. maybe that'll come up on 13 questions, which is you know um, I don't we don't I don't get to talk about this kind of stuff on 13 questions. So uh, I love you know. Thanks for the opportunity for me to come on and mm-hmm. talk your guys' ears off about it. <laughs> no, it's no problem. I like, I like hearing about Freemasonry from from the inside, and uh, I appreciate your candor talking about it all because you know. Um, it's uh, in this weird sort of realm of conspiracy and stuff. Uh, Freemasonry free is a touchy subject for a lot of people. And so appreciate you, you know, coming forward and being honest and telling us about it. You know, yeah, I thought you might have to have your eyes gouged out or something now. <laughs> No, that's actually not one of the. <laughs> there are one where you are, you are like uh, ripped in two down the center or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's for yeah, the third one. That's the, the worst. Yeah, serious, there, serious there, business. Yeah, there are serious punishments for breaking your oaths. You get ripped in half. Yeah. Oh no. You're pulled in two different directions. A house divided itself cannot stand. Oh. Ouch. Like a pair of Levi's. <laughs> but yeah, so thanks um, the being candid about it. And I know that it is a third rail topic and it's it weird. Is. I mean, um, that's why I did it, honestly, is because I wanted to figure out, is there anything weird going on here? And there's not. It's just a bunch of guys sitting around their local lodges talking about stuff and maybe serving some pancakes and raising funds for widows and orphans, right? Uh, you got to really search to find the the people that are more interested in the esoteric side. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's. I think I described it the same way last week. Most people are there for uh, social reasons or networking or, uh, you know, um, yeah. I think there's a lot read into it that it doesn't help because it's been secretive over the the decades and and people see it as uh, not exclusive isn't the right word, but Wherever there is mystery and intrigue, there's always going to be speculation, and that's just the way it goes. I'm afraid. Mm. So, uh, yeah, join up if you if you think it's, it's all about Baphometti and his boobies. <laughs> Sign up and have a look. <laughs> <laughs> right, Bill, we'll let you go. Links in the show notes, eavesdroppers. Mm. Check it out if you've got room in your rotation. Subscribe to Thirteen Questions and and. Uh, the, you know, you got loads of, of good blokes there telling their stories, and uh, we've been uh, having a lot of cross pollination with our guests and stuff. You know, like we had we had Owen Hunt on last week. Uh, you had Guy Murray on uh, a couple yeah. of a month or two ago. So it's nice. It's nice um, hearing different perspectives from different people and what they've learned, and, and you know, it's great. Check it out. All right. Mm. All right. Yeah, thanks. 
Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Bill. We'll see you soon. Yeah. Who knows where? Let's keep in touch, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Bill. All right. Stay on the line for us for uh, two seconds while we play ourselves out, and we'll catch you fuckers on the flip side for some housekeeping and some news. Yeah. For reals. For real. Right then, we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. That was our chat with Bill from 13 Questions Podcast. Mm. Sonic. He was very mellow, wasn't he? He was mellow indeed. Yeah. Mel- What's that? Do you remember Mellow Yellow? Is it called Yellow Mellow? Mellow it's Yellow. Mellow Yellow. yellow. Yeah. Quite, right. Quite rightly. And uh, <laughs> what was it? Was it like freeze-dried tea? Or was it what? like... <laughs> not the song. There was actually a product called Mellow Yellow. I'm sure. Mellow oh, Birds. Was it Birds? Mellow, Mellow Birds. Birds. Was that custard? My, I don't know. I thought it was like some tea-related thing. Mellow Yellow. Mellow Hi. Yellow. We'll check the, uh, the annals of history. <clears throat> Go on. The annals. <laughs> so I enjoyed looking in his little black book. Yeah, it was good. He bought a prop. Yeah. He read from said book, which was interesting. Yeah. He seemed a little bit more open um, than perhaps previous guests have been able to be. Um, Yeah, yeah. It made it a little bit more interesting. Yeah, it sounded like he got clearance. Yeah, he'd been cleared (laughs) by uh, the Grand Worshipful Master. Worshipful Master? Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And uh, you'll enjoy the podcast. If you've got room in your rotation, give it a go. Mm. If, you, if your uh, podcast rotation's feeling stale, <laughs> you know, kick out someone and uh, put 13 questions in there. Give it a go. Mm. Yeah, get really... rid of some of that true crime nonsense oh, that's so popular. That, yeah, it's like, I don't get the... Well, I do kind of understand it, but yeah, true crime obsession is quite strange, isn't it? Macabre. It's macabre, voyeuristic. Mm. Sexy. If you like. Yeah. yeah. Dangerous. All the best things. Why yeah. don't we do a true crime podcast? <laughs> well, yeah, go it, on then. There's other Rhetorical. ones. Well, there's other ones, other podcasts, and what they do is they learn about certain serial killers and they just all talk about it, basically. That's part of it. And put that out as a way to hook people in. Yeah, I'm just not interested in it, really. True crime. Right, I don't, I don't okay. see... I don't, I don't, it doesn't do it for me. Does it not? I quite enjoyed making the murderer when that was a... Making murderer. Making murderer. Because there was a bit of uh, intrigue there, wasn't there? And yeah. it was a, did he, did, did he do it, didn't he do it? Why did he kill someone again after he just got out of prison? Why did he, did he do it? Did he? He went back to prison, didn't he? I don't know. Here I go killing again. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember how did he get off the first one. Was it like DNA or something? And then in the second one, <laughs> he was like, he put the car in the, his scrapyard. But we're slowly turning into a true crime podcast yeah. already. It's happening. Yeah, so we know nothing about true crime. <laughs> the worst true crime podcast ever. I bet we're in the top 60%. In terms of accuracy for true crime podcasts, if we if we just randomly side chatting about something, exactly. 
Hey, we broke the top 50 in France this week. Did you see? Ooh, oh, oui, oui. France. France. Oh, <laughs> oh, monsieur, with this Rocher, you're really spoiling us. I didn't see that, no, but that's quite yeah, interesting. I it, yeah, I checked I check the charts like once a week or something. Mm. And we're at philosophy, we're in the top 50. Wow, there's France. a lot of big French philosophers as well. That's, uh, yeah. you know, Sartre and some of this. Robert. Uh, Descartes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I think. Descartes. Therefore, I am. Yeah. Let's no. see. Dostoevsky doesn't sound very French. No. Uh, no. Don't talk about Russians. Kierkegaard. I think he might be Dutch. Just... German. Swedish? Could be. I don't know. Sounds, uh, sounds Klingon. Maybe he's Klingon. <laughs> a Klingon philosopher. Kierkegaard. General Kierkegaard. Kapla! <laughs> get, your, get your bathlet out. <laughs> Kierkegaard. Is that what it's called? A bathlet? Batlet. Batlet. A batlet, not a bathlet. bathlet. A bathlet is just a small bath. Yes. Come on, love, get in the bathlet. (laughs) 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 For a gentleman's wash. (laughs) Oh, a horse bath. A horse bath. Are you familiar with the concept of a horse bath? (laughs) You just wipe your flower with a flannel. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. And your pits. Yeah. Stand up white. The triangle. Crevices. Mm. Efficient. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I got sexually assaulted at work this week. Again. Oh, crikey. It happens every week. I know, I'm just a soft target. Or I'm like, a, like I'm a hard target. A window cleaner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme. Hard target. Were you a soft target after the assault? Uh, my nipples were hard. Okay. Okay. Was it, was it cold? And what happened? I was uh, I was working with a joiner, and he requested some assistance. Mm-hmm. In removing a kitchen unit, a bespoke, very large kitchen unit. Right, okay. Which required a lot of strength <laughs> and <a> fortitude. <laughs> so you need to take your stiff nipples. <laughs> <laughs> you just got all in this. <laughs> so we, we heaved this kitchen unit out of situ yeah. onto a bench. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, cheers, love, and tweet my nipple. <laughs> oh. Really hard. Oh. Like, I don't you... think you can do that. No. Maybe I have, like, really sensitive nipples, but it really hurt. <laughs> Did you tell him? No. You don't show <laughs> weakness. What kind of yeah, millennial well, do you take me for? Oh, I'm a victim! <laughs> no. He must have seen weak with a tweaky nipple and knows <laughs> that you weren't going to bit him back on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. No, I just uh, summoned my stoicism. Did you? I channeled oh. Seneca. And what did you do? I just laughed. Yeah. Laughed through the tears. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And then spat in Have his you had tea. nightmares? <laughs> PTSD? Yeah. I think I might get PTSD, yeah. Have you been running it through your mind? And seeing whether there's any scenario where you might have reacted differently? No, how do you mean? Well, do you, uh, would you? Uh, I mean, there are. Well, I'd scare my niece and suck him off. <laughs> well, well, that's one option. <laughs> but there, there are numerous options you could have taken uh, after right. that. You chose to kind of laugh it off. Have you not been thinking back about how that might have played out differently? What would the other reactions be? 
well, violence. Uh, yeah, sucking him off, I suppose, is, it would have been one. <laughs> um, I don't know. No, I've not replayed replayed it in my head with different I reactions. replayed it. No, is that something you do? No, I don't get my nipples tweaked that often. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, it wasn't that that only, only, only on home day. Home <laughs> day. <Yeah. laughs> I don't know. I'd be. Uh, How would you I'm not react? Sure I would have left it off. You wouldn't have re- even if, even if he's your friend. What if what if Matt did it to you? Oh yeah, I'd, laugh, I'd probably laugh it off oh. if he did that again. Yeah, that's fine. But is, was he your friend? Yeah, I thought it was just some rando. <laughs> oh, that's fine then. <laughs> I don't think a rando would would dare. Did you not give him a sack tap in return? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been good. I should have. Uh, yeah, I should have given him a stroke or something, shouldn't I? Yeah. Little, just a little flick. <laughs> yeah, I should have. I should have doubled down. Yeah. Oh God! Imagine if that. And what happens if he doubled down? Yeah, it's an arms race, isn't it? And then you had to double down. Who's going to back down? That's where we end up sucking. You know, it's each other uh, sixty nine situation. That isn't. Yeah, it's ass to ass. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Jeez. Louise. Yeah. Greasy in Ooh. a greasy. Uh, yeah, we'd be getting the uh, the paddling pool out and filling it with grease. <laughs> You should have rimmed your work like colleague's it. coffee cup. Ooh. Rimmed? I know, yeah. With Rimmed. what? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm I'm uh, that might that's lost in translation. I, I have a different understanding of the term rimming. It's like, like a you, Manhattan where you rub salt on the glass. Is that what rimming is? Well no. It, rimming is looking One's asshole, <laughs> not one's asshole. Yeah, he says <laughs> you should have. Tony, Tony on YouTube says you should have rimmed your work colleague's coffee cup. I think. Does, uh, does he think you should have wiped your ass on it? That's what he's trying to say. Right, maybe. You have yeah. to check the Prophetosaurus for coffee cup. Yeah, I just licked his co- just gently licked his coffee cup around its edges. <laughs> or you could rim it with you with your helmet. I'm sure people have done that. See if it makes a tune. Wasn't there a story a couple of years ago of a guy in an office who was like spunking into someone's coffee, a female work colleague's coffee? That's a legit story. He got caught on CCTV in the office. He was jizzing into, he was literally creaming into a coffee. Yeah, but we said we wouldn't talk about my uh, last job. (laughs) No. All right, fair enough. Should we move on? Yeah. I went to, uh, I, I I paid a visit to my favourite bookshop. Oh, yeah, St. Catherine's Hospice. A charity, charity bookshop. Charity bookshop. First visit for six months, maybe. Wow. Okay. And what a haul. <laughs> what a haul of books I got. Do you want me to uh, run through some for you? Yes. Oh, you, you won't find them there. I've hidden them. I did not. It's a great escape, not one of them then. No. This is the first one. It's the Holy Bible. Oh, no, it's blank. It's on the spine. Um, Mankind in the Making, H.G. Wells. Oh. Oh, it stinks. It's from, I think it's from 1914, that book. It smells like it's from 1914. Yeah. What nose are you getting on the nose, Matt? Oh, fuck me. Um, Death, mainly. (laughs) Maybe there. I think it's been in someone's attic uh, for a very long time. Have a look at the chapters. 
Okay, pass pass, the, the, pass get, the preface. Get the preface. Is it, is it super thin paper? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, new, the New Republic. All right, so Plato is famous for Republic. So this the is Republic, the answer yes. to the Republic. The problem of birth supply. Sorry, excuse me? The problem of birth supply. The problem of birth supply. Yeah. Uh, certain wholesale aspects of man-making. Oh, it's a sexy book. <laughs> mm. The beginnings of the mind and language. The, the man-making forces of the modern state, schooling, political and social influences, the cultivation of imagination, the organisation of the high of the, yeah of the higher education, thought in the modern state, the man's own share. I thought that's going to be an interesting book because yeah. of the time that it's written as well. Just uh, shortly pre-World War One. So is this kind of his manifesto or something? Yeah. <laughs> is it? Uh, what's the price? What's the price on the front? Uh, one pound. One pound oh, for a 1914 print of yeah. H.G. Wells. Mm-hmm. Next book. Just six numbers. The deep forces that shape the universe. What's this going to be? Well, numbers... <laughs> The six numbers that shape our universe. Party. No. Have you not been listening to anything Ryan Seven said? No. That's numbers. It kind of, Numerology, sacred geometry. It kind of goes in and then I forget it. I think. 72. 72. Seven. Seven, yeah. 432. 432. Um, Gnosticism. How did... Let me show you something. Well, I just uh, want to... <laughs> number is... is what, what the seven liberal arts... Um, geometry geometry number in space is the most important one the whole universe is is decoded through through numbers and numerology if you look at like um, a lot of the early theology and creation myths like the Gnostics had and whatnot it all comes down to number there is and the concept of number the world you know everywhere well the creation starts with one we we would call that a singularity Mm mm-hmm there is no concept of any other numbers, and then one is divided. The um, the uh, Babylonians would have said that uh, Tiamat divided the uh, the land from the water, the abyss from the whatever. We have the same in Genesis. God separates. Bill Collins. We start with a a primeval soup. And then God divides the waters from the land. It's all div- it's about division. Well, what happens when you divide one? Do you get two. a... Take one thing half. and divide it. What you do you get? Two. You get two, You get ben. two. Well, you get, At least. Yeah, okay, two halves. <laughs> yeah. Well, you get the concept, the conception of two. Before that, you had a singularity. Two didn't exist. There was no yeah. such concept as two. You divide one and you get two. All of a sudden, you have duality. You have yin and yang. You have the poles. You have the concept of two. Okay. Well, now we have a singularity, a one, a singular thing we're aware of, and two things. What can we create with that? All of a sudden, we have the concept of three, the triad, the trinity, before which it never existed. And from those three numbers, every other number falls into place. That's some and heavy cool shit, story. That's what all this theology it comes back to with the the creation stories. And this book 
just six numbers. Martin Reese, it's written by. I thought you said there were three. <laughs> so, Sir Martin Reese is an international leader in cosmology. Mm-hmm. He's a Royal Society Research Professor at Cambridge University. Mm-hmm. Never heard of it. And holds the title of Astronomer Royal. He is a member of the Royal Society and the United States National Academy of Sciences, the Russian Academy of Sciences, and a number of other foreign academies. Mm. So it's written by... Basically Freemason. A hard, hard scientist. Hard. So I picked the book up because it said just six numbers, the deep forces that shape our, our universe, thinking about numerology and sacred geometry and whatnot. Pick it up and it's written by a completely mainstream, normal... Mm. Uh, not normal, mainstream hard scientists. So, I mean, you're not going to find any sort of esoteric symbolism or anything in this, are you? It's going to be about, oh, what's that, page eight? Oh, it's a serpent. It's the Ouroboros on page eight. Oh, Ouroboros, serpent yeah. eating its own tail. One of the oldest symbols that's ever been recorded. The ancient Egyptians had it, the Sumerians. All keeps coming back to that. The serpent in the sky. Yeah, maybe they were onto something. I don't know. Next book, Khalil Gibran, author of The Prophet. I read The Prophet about two years ago, so I thought, well, I'll give that. I enjoyed The Prophet. I'll try that. What's uh, it called? It's called A Second Treasury of Khalil Gibran. Mm, short stories. Philosopher. Uh, William Dalrymple. Oh, yeah. He's a good travel writer. I've read a couple of his books. He's the uh, did the Life at the Bottom, didn't he? Is it called Life at the Bottom? I don't know that one. I've not read that one. Oh, This one's about India. Was he... Did he used to like, write for The Spectator or something like that? Are you think of Dalrymple? No. <laughs> <laughs> he used to write for The Spectator. I don't know. I don't know. I think he might have done. I have only discovered his books in the last couple of years. So again, after reading that Polish travel writer, right? I just know. Was he a doctor? Probably oh, thinking of somebody else. I don't know. I'd have to Google it. I don't know. I thought he was a journalist, but whatever. The Pope's a history. Where did he? Does what it says on the tin, doesn't it? Do you think Pope's? Do you think? That they deliberately get these books in for you. <laughs> well, he's coming, he's coming. Open the box. <laughs> I would say they're pretty normal books. Mm-hmm. But I found a, a couple of books that were definitely left for me. <laughs> Kingdom of the Ark. The starting story of how the ancient British race is descended from the pharaohs. Lorraine Evans. We to get her on, don't we? Yeah. And this is something I've read about before. Mm-hmm. Um, Nefertiti and Akhenaten had a daughter. Um, Akhenaten famously was, well, not famously, he was deposed, he was kicked out. Right. And his, uh, you know, as the story goes, his daughter was exiled. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was called Scotta. Ooh. And she exiled to Scotland. So that's the that's the theory of the book that that Scotter was the founder of uh, civilization in the British Isles. Hardback too, yeah. one pound fifty for a hardback. Yeah, and it's it's pristine. It's never been read. I mean, it's, the spine's not even broken. <laughs> uh, large writing, always good to see. 
It's only about 290 pages, something like that. Pages to read that. Read that in a day. Yeah, read that in the bath. <laughs> yeah. So I think that'll be good. That'll be an intriguing read. And I'd come to the end of a book, and that was a close second, but I started reading this instead. Because uh, this is another theory that I've read about, well, heard about before. Titanic, the ship that never sank. Oh, oh now that looks <laughs> like a book. By Robin Gardner, the co-author of the best-selling The Riddle of the Titanic. Oh. So, you've all you've both heard of this, obviously, the theory of the Titanic and why it never sank. No. You've I've, heard I've known us? about that for at I, least 14 seconds. I've not heard, heard of this. No. So, go on. Did you know the Titanic had a sister ship? Yes, yeah. the um, shit. I forgot what it's called. It wasn't the shit. Was it Oceana uh, or something? Endeavour. Olympia. <laughs> Olympia. Olympia. Or was it Olympic? No, Olympia. I think it's the Olympia. Mm. Uh, which was finished first right. and went out and did a few few cross-Atlantic journeys. And it had an accident. It, uh, it was in an accident. We had oh, <laughs> Yeah, did it lose a pipe or something to do with one of its... It had one less... Um, funnel. I don't know what they're called. Funnel. No, I don't think so. No, it had okay. a, a big hole ripped out the side of it. <laughs> it was uh, The Royal Navy boat that hit it was one of these that was designed, I think, to ram, ram boat. Right. So it had a big hole rammed in the side of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so White... Is it White Starline? Was that the name of the company? I think that so, them? yeah. They had a bit of an issue then. Mm-hmm. Um, Got an issue. Yeah. So that the theory goes is that while uh, the Olympic limped back, because they were unsinkable, mm-hmm. these vessels, it, got, it had this massive uh, accident with the Royal Navy vessel. It limped back to Belfast mm-hmm. where the Titanic was being finished off and uh, swapped the badges, <laughs> swapped the badges, patch up the Olympic superficially so it looks like it's been fixed mm-hmm. and then send it out as the Titanic. mm so uh, they can claim the insurance wow. money, insurance job, classic insurance job. And then uh, and then the t- what was the Titanic has the Olympia badges on it. Oh, well, we've fixed it now. Mm. And that ran till the 30s. Yeah. Ran till the 30s because well, it had never been an accident. And funnily enough, the, uh, the captain of the Olympic, when they had the accident, and the inquiry said it was the captain's fault. It wasn't the Royal Navy vessel fault. It was the captain's fault. Um, so what would you do with that captain who's just had this massive balls up of an accident with a Royal Navy vessel through incompetence. I'll promote him. Put him on... Put him on the bridge of the Titanic and make him go down with it. Yeah. That's what, exactly what they did. Yeah. Certain, That's quite a ripping yarn. Yeah, it's a good one. A certain JP Morgan own, own the company. Um, yeah. One of the most powerful men in the world. Collusion with the British government... Mm. So apparently all the crew that survived the Titanic were uh, collected together and made to sign the Official Secrets Act. And there was wow. one Irish guy, Paddy something, uh, <laughs> Paddy. who was on the crew, and in 1971, at the age of 80, he spilled the beans. What did he say? <laughs> what did he say? He told the whole story, oh. like I've just told you. Right, okay, okay. Yeah. What happened to him? He, was he died shortly after. Assassinated. Yeah. Light, light aircraft <laughs> accident. <laughs> oh, he he died in a hot tub. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two shots to the head. <laughs> he rode off a cliff on his segue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
No, no, he hung himself in his prison cell, but the cameras were off. Shit. <laughs> mm. That was all the time. So I think that's an incredible haul from the bookshop. I don't know, it's good. I mean, yeah. for... what's your total spend? Six pounds. <laughs> I mean, you can't buy that sort of book. Well, you can't, I did. clearly. <laughs> <laughs> you can't put a value on those books. <laughs> I'd have paid a five if it she wells. It's a stinker. I've got loads of old books at home like that. Do you ever overpay when you're going in? Because it's a charity. No. Oh, well, well, like, keep the change sort of thing, yeah. Okay. Like, if it's it's £8, and I'll give them a tenner and say keep the change. Does that count? Is that what you meant? Yeah. Yeah. Or do you mean just, like, making it rain (laughs) in St. Catherine's? Uh, yeah, no, I just thought you said you, you would have paid £5 for the HG Wells book, but didn't. Yeah, maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe I'd have paid £3. Oh, okay. I don't think there is a book for £3 in there. No. Although, there is a special shelf behind the till. <laughs> and what are they? The pre- Old, rare books. Premium books. Yeah, that are expensive. First editions. Yeah. I should look it up on eBay, that HG Wells. It might be worth a few quid. Don't know. It smells. Yeah, they pay more for the stink. The stank. Cool. All right, okay. What? Cool. Good haul. You're right. Housekeeping. Let's move on. Housekeeping. It's a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. Uh, my current way of returning value is word of mouth, telling people about the podcast and uh, helping to extend our reach into the minds of the masses. I like um, purchasing from the Amish loot chest. Yeah, current grape t-shirt or a uh, literally a communist hoodie. I like it when people join the Discord. Like, you know, remember when Ben joined the Discord for a few weeks <laughs> and then left Never again? Um, <laughs> so that's my favourite way. And, you know, guest suggestions. That's always helpful. Putting um, news like, articles on there. Helping us. Helpy. Yeah, the, the idea is that you help produce the content. Yeah. That's yeah. why we call you producers. Call you healthy helpersons. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it can be as simple as sending us a meme that we can post on Instagram mm. or uh, leaving us a review yeah. on iTunes or Spotify yeah. or subscribing to the YouTube or the Twitch or the to Yeah, we need subs on YouTube. We need to get up to a thousand, don't we? Seems like that is a milestone that is of import. That is uh, key. Yeah, I don't know if it'll make much difference. I just, from what I've heard, I've like Ben from Uncharted and uh, Matt from Ancient Ar- Ar- Architects. That like once you get over that hump to a thousand, it, mm. the growth becomes quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably not. Maybe not for us. <laughs> I don't know. Mm. But you never know. Something to aim for, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, send us artwork. That's been quite nice recently, hasn't it? Have we got some artwork? I think we got something, didn't we? Yeah, if, if you're in the Discord or you can email us uh, some show artwork, because we like to have new artwork for every episode, and we got a couple of submissions this week. Um, I'll pull the first one up that we got earlier in the week from Bunyan Up. 
I think this was Monday. This was in like yeah. an hour of me announcing. So there's a thread on the Discord where on the Monday I will reveal who the guest is for the next week. Mm. And I think within about 90 minutes, <laughs> we had this come through from Bunyan Up. Mm. So we've got uh, Armist Inquisition at the top, episode 223. Bill Strutt there, the guest at the bottom. And this sort of weird 13 question, what kind of, what's that orange thing? A star. Is it a star? Eight-pointed star. An eight-pointed star. What is the symbol? Oh, no. What's the occult yeah. meaning of an eight-pointed star? I don't know. Maybe there is now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there isn't. Maybe we're just reading into it like the apron. Yes. I like the fonts. It's very sort of metal. It is, isn't it? <laughs> it's, you know. like, it's the complete opposite Sp- of Bill's <laughs> <laughs> Spinal tap. <laughs> yeah. But it's very, um, what's the word? Visually clean, isn't it? It's clean. It's clean. clean. There's something about those colours, orange and light blue. Mm. I think it, it works really well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then we had one later in the week from Lee for the Big Conspire podcast. Let's reveal that one now. Oh, so we've got two. So we've got the arm signature at the top, two, two, three, and then we've got some sort of head being transported, like on a Star Trek transporter. Yeah. Into one, two, three, four, five questions. Where, when, why, how, what? Mm. That is the that is the uh, the maxim of journalism, you know. It's also what you're supposed to do when you're assessing someone's mental health. Is it? Explain. Oh just you got we know if something's happened, you've got to say where. Where does it happen? When does it happen? Why does it happen? How does it affect you? Affect you? Affect you? And what is it that's happening? Aren't they coming to you to find out why? <laughs> no, because they come. They come to you for uh, guided discovery, Ben, and the Socratic method. That's what they come for. That's why I Socratic it out of them. Sometimes. So great. Mm. It's also the the mantra of journalism. So if you're writing a story, yeah, those, those are the elements you need to know: where, when, why, how, and what. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And they've got thirteen questions down there, and the little compass. I like how he's used the compass for the O in the word questions. It's. I mean, another good font. It it, it mm. speaks of quests as well. <laughs> yeah. Enter, stranger. Yeah. Nightmare. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I always wanted to go on Nightmare when I was a kid. Uh, the I, I couldn't watch that program. It was terrifying. <laughs> There's walls. It was talking awful. walls. Terrifying. Were you not being chased in it or something? Yeah, there was mild peril. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. It used to make me freak out. Fine That's for an eight-year-old. Never used to watch uh, CITV. What about the Dungeon Master? What was it called? The Nightmare. Brian. <laughs> Oh my god! I've got a fridge magnet somewhere with him on it. Have you? Can't see it from here, but yeah, I've got a I've got a nightmare fridge magnet somewhere. Right. Uh, what do we think of the artwork? Who's uh, do you want to take a vote on who's going to be used for the show? Um, I'm going to vote for um, Bunyan Up. Bunyan Up. Yeah, I'm yep. afraid it's a Bunyan Up from me. It god. pops. Really, I like Lee's. Yeah, it's split. I, I like Lee's as well. But... You got no taste. Really? 
I'm, I'm shocked, and I'll tell you for why. Look who I've used for the YouTube artwork. Yeah, well, there you go. He can be used for that. Oh, well. Because I thought it was a done deal that Lee was going to get that. Well, let's just, we'll have to stay with Lee. Let's do the opposite of what we said. <laughs> because we, we, nobody has any time. And uh, at least he's on, he's on, the, uh, he's on the YouTube. Then Bunya Nut. And Lee can have yeah. the thing, can't he? Yeah, the runner-up gets the YouTube artwork. Mm-hmm. So we need a title for this podcast. For YouTube thumbnail. Uh, something about Freemasons. Uh, yeah, that would be good. Um, what is it? Oh, no, 33 degrees now. Uh, I'm waiting. It's a good job this isn't live. Mm. <laughs> uh, so, something about Freemasonry in America. That's what I'm getting. That's what I'm working with. About um, what did we talk about? Freemasonry. Uh, colon origins American origins Freemasonry something like that no they're not uh, it didn't originate in America did it you'd get lynched no that's, that's, no the origins of Freemasonry in America Yank Masonry no <laughs> is that offensive what, what's beneath your apron yeah <laughs> that's that's the best What's beneath <laughs> your apron? Question mark. The compass and set square. What's that all about? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't talk about that. He mentioned it once. Did we? Yeah. We Did didn't he? talk about it though. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, so the, I think, well, Freemasonry Origins is winning so far. Yeah. So unless I think of something better before tomorrow, that's what it's going to be. We'll make this disappear now. Yeah. Um, what are other ways to come and produce it? There must be some more. Focus G requests. Focus we didn't get any this week. No. If uh, if you're in a funk, you're suffering from depleted G in the form of a health condition, maybe you've got... Maybe you've got... A, uh, a ritual you have to remember for a certain yeah. degree, a ceremony oh, yeah. of Freemasonry, and you need your your uh, need some help from the Amish community to focus our chi in your direction. Drop it in the Discord or email it to the Amish Inquisition at gmail dot com, and we will focus our chi as a whole mm. into your hole, your chi hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds fine. That's how it works. That's how it works, <laughs> and it works a treat. It's 100% it like. effective. It's been used in many different mold, modus operandi, and it is incredibly effective. So mm. get your requests in. We'll fill that prostate for you. Yeah, and then milk it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> milk that chi out of you yeah. and throw it at you. <laughs> As is above is below close something like that as above so below <laughs> whatever <laughs> i'm still learning uh, yeah it's <laughs> fine right toss us a coin will you <laughs> toss us a coin will you 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 toss us a
Toss a coin to your witcher, Old Valley. Do it for the lads. Lads. Lads, because. Oh, we've nothing and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. That's right, you can go to seehomestinquisition.com and find the PayPal button there and you can give us a one-off donation, sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation and donations at the level of £50 or over will grant you the rank, the status, the cachet, the, ooh, prestige of being an executive producer. The degree. The degree, yeah. For that particular episode, uh, which looks great on your curriculum vitae, your CV, your LinkedIn profile. Only you fuckers out there can save Plotland and uh, keep us going for another week. Mm. So, I think it's time to uh, thank the producers for this episode. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. It's time. It's time to big up the man Dems. Yo, we've got producers for episode two hundred and twenty-three. We've got uh, Bunny Nut and Lee from the Big Conspire for the artwork. Uh, Helen of Troy, mostly business, and Zach for memes and stories and the anonymous people who bought merch this week. Thank you. They are, yeah, so amazing, and they're love, literally, the best mate. Building back better. Because I'm literally a communist. It's time to... The dwarf, the currants, the grape, the homophobe, the winds, the asna, the crumpum, chance, the number 11, the blind man, the fallen on the horizon, the cripple and the mother of from hell. We don't get it, never will. Thanks for your support for another week. Keep it coming. Much appreciated. Yeah, join the Discord community if you want to get, get more involved. Uh, what's been happening this week? Anything out and out? Nothing been going on, I don't think. Stayed away from the news this week. It it works. Not doom scrolling. Yeah. Yeah. It's just cold turkey. You feel your your amygdala shrinking. <laughs> I think it's that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it works. So, no news. Excellent. Next. <laughs> Have you got some news for us? Always. Yeah. Well, well, you can just talk if you want. You don't have to go straight into the stories. Um, Whatever. You know, I think I've done enough talking. Have you? Mm. Okay. Oh, what? Uh, what about Jussie Smollett? Oh, Jussie Smollett. You posted this in the Discord. What's happened? He's got found... Um, Guilty, hasn't he, of faking his um, attack by two um, MAGA thugs, which turned out to be hired um, people, basically. And they were they were extras, weren't they, on that show he was on, Empire or whatever. Were they as well? Well, yeah, obviously. But he's innocent. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He also had the audacity to do a black power... Salute when he was found guilty, which I found astonishing. Yes, um, Jesse Smollett sentenced. Uh, U.S. actor Jesse Smollett has been sentenced to 150 days in jail mm. after a jury found he lied to police about being the victim of a hate crime. The former Empire star, 39, was found guilty in December. 
that's four months ago now, isn't it? Mm. Of five charges of felony disorderly conduct after making false reports about the hoax attack. Yeah, it was in like Chicago in the winter time at four in the morning. It was like freezing temperatures. It just none of it made sense, did it? Mm. The sentence also includes thirty months of probation and ooh, one hundred forty-five thousand dollars in restitutions and fines. Um, and he didn't take it so well, did he? I've got a clip here. Oh. This is what he was saying to the judge after the sentence was passed. Do you have any questions? No, I would just like to say to Your Honor that I am uh, I am not suicidal. That's what I was about to say. Okay. I am not suicidal. Okay. I am not suicidal. I am innocent, and I am not suicidal. If I did this, then it means that I stuck my fist in the fears of black Americans in this country for over 400 years, and the fears of the LGBT community. Your Honor, I respect you, and I respect the jury, but I did not do this, and I am not suicidal. And if anything happens to me when I go in there, I did not do it to myself, and you must all know that. I respect you, Your Honor. I respect your decision. Jail time. I am not suicidal. Okay. Do you have any questions? Wow. That was quiet. That was like the uh, desperate ramblings of a suicidal man. (laughs) (laughs) He sounded, he didn't sound uh, very stable, did he? Saying that kind of thing at the end of the... But he's just like... it's, it, it was immediately found out to be a hoax, and you know. Oh no! Not immediately. Well, it was pretty soon, wasn't it? Oh man! If you were listening to No Agenda at the time, mm. they played all the clips from NBC, CNN mm. about this horrible hate crime. Right. Okay. For days and days and days, and it was uh. Trump. They were wearing red MAGA hats. Right. Yeah. Oh, this right, white right wing extremist, white supremacist on the rise. All these headlines, talking points. Yeah. And then they found out that it was. It was too. The black, damage was done. Basically. It was two black guys as well, wasn't it? That yeah. allegedly beat him up. Well, yeah, there were extras on Empire. <laughs> so why did they? Um, why did he do it? He paid them. Yeah. No. Why? Yeah. Why did he orchestrate this? Was it not something to do with his contract? on this program was due to for renewal and he wanted to give him boost his notoriety and fame so he he thought i've got an idea this is allegedly what it what it was i don't know if this is what sort of played out in court um and uh he did it so he could he basically could get paid more essentially that's what i read it's increased his notoriety hasn't he so yeah has he not got a famous sister is she not like? I think she might be an actress as well. I don't know. Never. I don't. I don't I've never watched it. I, don't, I wouldn't uh, know I've him if I walk past him in the street. I only know him from this. Yeah. And the problem is, is that there are real hate crimes that happen. Mm. And then when you take this sort of thing and, oh man, it's just uh, it's the same okay. with. Oh no, I'm not going to talk about rape. <laughs> no, false accu- accusations of rape have the similar effect on real victims. Yeah, you know it's mm-hmm. it's so cynical. Mm. I didn't realize about these contract coming up for renewal, but I mean that makes perfect sense now, doesn't it? Mm. Oh God, what a mess! Yeah, 
So, I mean, he'll be out <clears throat> in a couple of months with good behaviour. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, I can't believe he's still banging the drum and playing on this, you know, the if race he just, thing. If he just said sorry, I know, yeah, he wouldn't have been sent. He wouldn't be in prison. No, I know. Just yeah. give him a tap on the wrist. Yeah, yeah. You know, but he's just he's martyring himself, isn't he? He's getting high on his own supply. Mm. Sounds like it. Yeah. Anyway, um, Lee from Big Conspire sent us um, a video from the uh, one of these technology expos. Oh, yeah. One that's happening. I think it's in Abu Dhabi. Has he? Or Dubai. Sent us some more terrifying technology. I mean, it's not that particularly terrifying. It's sort of pretty much what we can see coming, really. It's the smart mirror. <laughs> not the black mirror, the smart mirror. Okay. At the Expo, the Dubai Islamic Bank Pavilion presented the Smart Mirror Solution, a smart device with a rectangular shape as tall as a person. Standing in front of it, you can see all your personal banking information in seconds. What accounts and under what conditions are opened, what credits you have, how many cards you have, and what type and other information. The client is recognized using biometric technology by face or fingerprint. According to the owners of the pavilion, by 2050, clients will trust banks not only with their financial data. For example, the smart mirror will estimate the state of health, fitness, and attitude towards the environment. And attitude towards the environment. Your social score. It will estimate your attitude towards the environment by looking at you. Oh. How's that work? You've eaten too many sausages. <laughs> yeah, you need to start eating bugs. <laughs> Crickets and shit. Yeah, you need to go back to the protein farm. <laughs> and encourage bank customers for a healthy lifestyle or care for the environment with special points, offers, and bonuses. That's the key part. Smart Mirror will estimate the state of health, fitness, and attitude towards the environment and encourage bank customers for a healthy lifestyle or care for the environment with special points, offers, and bonuses. Encourage you to care for the environment with special points, incentives, and bonuses. Being conditioned, aren't we? Yes, it's social engineering. Yeah. We, we know this. We've been talking about this for a while now. Decades. Yeah. It's uh, it's like the, the devices that you wear. You know, the Fitbit type things. Yeah. You link them yeah. up and you, your insurance company will give you a discount. If you wear, if you be a good boy. Yeah. Wear this, go to the uh, gym mm. when we tell you yep. to. Get your steps in. We'll give you a discount. Yeah. And a free coffee. Oh, and a free coffee. And cinema tickets. a free coffee. And cinema tickets, yeah. 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 What else do we get? Uh, I don't get it because mine's, oh, mine's not, not expensive it? enough. Yeah, we've uh, just got life uh, insurance. Good, got life insurance, not health insurance. Half price trainers. I think I was offered the other day. Ooh. Uh, I don't want any trainers. Consume. <laughs> just keep consuming. Yeah, that's the oh, main yeah. thing. Well, yeah, absolutely. People have been making smart mirrors for a while. I, obviously, I have no desire to have my bank details, <laughs> you know, blurted out of me while I'm brushing my hair or whatever. Opposing for a mirror, but you might want to know what the weather is. I suppose if you live in a, a bunker, I don't really um, stand in front know. of a mirror though. No, this I mirror. I don't think this mirror will be in your house. Oh, oh, mm. it's in the bank, is it? Yeah, in prison. Your digital prison. Yeah, that you're building for yourself. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't think. Will there be free coffees? Oh, if that's all it takes, yeah. <laughs> Hold out for something better, Ben. Don't give away your soul just for a free coffee. Cinema tickets? <laughs> Two free coffees? <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty oh, sweet God. deal. 
Take my data. <laughs> Fucking trigonometry had someone on about a couple of months ago who'd just written a book about. She was, um, I think she was Portuguese. Mm. Some sort of uh, PhD student from Portugal and she'd written a book about how big data's being used now and it's fucking terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. It put you off like using Google. Mm. You can't even use DuckDuckGo now. They've sold us down the river this week. Have they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're going to start clamping down on what they consider to be misinformation or disinformation. So Brave. People are going to move to Brave instead. Oh, you you get cryptocurrency. Quite a good cryptocurrency as well, not one that's worth... Point zero 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 one pence. Um, like I think it's bats. Is it? I, don't, I can't remember. Bat. Mm. Anyway, uh, Richard Madeley's been in trouble again this week. Um, but um, I can't find the clip. Oh, here it is. We're talking about Ukraine. Congratulations to Martin. It's, it was an incredible campaign, um, and uh, and it's finally had success. Charlotte, thanks very much indeed. And I also have to say congratulations. I, the British tabloids get a lot of criticism and stick, but they, we do have the finest headline writers in the world, I think. And I just love the headlines, and they're all saying the same thing this morning, about the McDonald's story, McDonald's pulling out of Russia. They're calling it a no-fry zone. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> Oh, it's terrible. Wow. It is literally... Uh, Alabashi. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah, coming in. Such great value for money. Is he on every day? Did he get the job then? How can you resist? Yeah. I mean, what will he say today? <laughs> no, he's just so cringeworthy. He's partridge yeah. incarnate. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. He's almost as bad as uh, Einhorn. Reinhorn is Putin. Reinhorn is Putin is Putin is. Come on, who are you then? Ronnie Bickering. Oh, Ronnie Bickering. Oh, Ronnie Bickering. Who the fuck's that? Yeah, me. Reinhorn is Finkel. <laughs> Reinhorn is Putin. Finkel. Finkel is Finkel is is Hitler. Putin is Hitler. Putin is Hitler. Is that, is that Liz Truss? <laughs> no, it's a speaker on Question Time. Oh, is it right? Okay. Yeah. There's all all this uh, talk of chemical weapons has come up this week, hasn't it? It was uh, it was teased right at the start of the week by. Um, Need to turn up the dread, don't they? Yeah. Who's the guy who was Democratic nominee? He was going to be. He was running to be the nominee against Biden and uh, Klobuchar and all the rest. Uh, oh, young guy. No one remembers the losers. Young guy, you liked him. You liked him. Is it Beto? Beto. Beto O'Rourke. But Beto? Might Beto. Not, might not have been him now, but it was another young ex-spook. <laughs> uh, yeah. <sighs> they teased it early in the week that chemical weapons might be mm. being released. And, uh, yeah, it seems like they're getting us ready for something. Some sort of bait happening. I don't know if we're going to see it or not. Risky move, isn't it? If he goes chemical, I don't. Why? Why is it? Where's the risk? Um, we've already stated that we won't step in if he uses mm. chemical weapons. Must this? You must have gas blowing the wrong way, isn't it? All over again. Yeah, that's what I mean. It seems that NATO's red line is an attack on a NATO country, yes. so we can do whatever he wants. Mm. 
don't want to die in a, a, a worldwide Armageddon event. Yeah, people are coming to are starting to clue in now that this is actually serious. Yeah, and that our fucking pussy-footed Western lives over the last thirty years—that's over. Things have changed. This is the great. This is the new world order. Will I still be able to get free coffee? <laughs> I don't know. In the new world order. I don't think people are going to be worrying about getting free coffee in six months. But we'll see. We'll see. It's, uh, yeah, strange times. Einhorn! <laughs> it's Finkel. Yeah. I'll chuck that. It's depressing. Yeah. Have we got, have we got something that's not about chemical weapons and Putin Hitler's? What would you like? Would you like... Um, Snakes, <laughs> steaks, or seagulls? Uh, oh. Snakes. Snakes. Uh, Mum of four shocked after kids find huge snake in middle of bathroom floor. Got a picture of Blimey. said you, snake. You found a huge snake <laughs> in the middle of the bathroom floor one morning, didn't you? Mm, explain. I thought what you, your youngest took a shit on the floor <laughs> one <laughs> night because he wasn't very well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was on the clock and he fucked up. <laughs> yeah, couldn't get his pyjamas off in time. Oh, this, is, this is the offending snake. Oh, it's a real one. It's That's a real a snake. snake. Yeah. yeah. A terrified mum, uh, Kaylee Ball, 33, from Liverpool, thought it was one of her children's toys at first, but then, to her horror, the creature on her bathroom floor began to writhe and squirm. A terrified mum says she has been left unable to sleep after finding a giant snake on the floor of her bathroom. Kaylee Ball, 33, described the hor- horrifying incident when her kids called her saying there was a snake in the bathroom. Can you imagine? Mum, there's a snake in the bathroom! <laughs> yeah. yeah, whatever. Yeah, no. Mum, there's a snake in the bathroom! <laughs> you wouldn't believe him, would you? No. But the distressed mum of four soon realised her mistake when the creature on her bathroom floor began to writhe and squirm. Kaylee said she has had trouble sleeping since finding the serpent in her Liverpool council home, as it has since disappeared. Oh, fuck off. And she has no idea where it is. The 33-year-old told the Liverpool Echo, It was bedtime, and I took the kids to bed at around half seven, when one of them started shouting, It's a snake in the bathroom! When I saw it, I told him it was just a toy. Mick Jagger. I moved it slightly (laughs) with my foot, and it didn't move. When my kid turned on the bathroom light, it started moving, and I shit myself. It's skinny, but it's huge. You find spiders and flies in your house, but not a fucking snake. <laughs> Kaylee closed the bathroom door and placed a towel covering the small gap between the door and the floor. And set fire to the house. <laughs> Before comforting her children and putting them to bed. By the time she went back into the bathroom, she saw the snake go behind the back of her toilet. Oh, the in between the floorboards, surely. She continued. I saw it go behind the toilet and I haven't seen it since. I've since read that they're attracted to dark places. I had to get a bath and I must have set a new world record for the quickest bath and hair wash ever. I was constantly checking the floor and the water to make sure the snake didn't come back. Kaylee said she feels on edge after finding the snake and she will have trouble sleeping until it is gone. He said, I'm going to have to call the council on Tuesday 
My palms will be sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on this sweat already, mon spaghetti, until I know the steak is gone. I literally have no idea where it's come from. I don't know if it's venomous. It's like a python. Yeah, you need a mongoose. Mm. Yeah. Or a ferret. Would a ferret not go after it for you? What about an, yeah, old, pri- an old priest? An old priest. <laughs> a young priest. And a young priest. <laughs> yeah. That's what we need. What about Jennifer Lopez? Jennifer she, she Wasn't she in a film called like Python or something? Anaconda? Anaconda she was in. Anaconda. Wasn't she? Yeah. Was John Voight in that film? Maybe, yeah. Wow. So what? John Voight and <laughs> J-Lo walk into a, a Liverpoolian bathroom. Yeah. How's it gone? I don't know. I don't even know where to begin with that. Knock on the door or ring the bell. Mm. So, oh, I thought you were going to role play with me then. You know, you just... No, I was going to be the, uh, the Liverpoolian housewife. Yeah. Never mind. I'd have ended up being Jaylo, right? <laughs> You've got the hips for it. Yeah. Benny, Benny from the block. The shapely <laughs> hips, the comely hips. How old is she? Is she over 50 now? Yeah. 50, early 50s, I would say. She never really did it for me, other than like one video. Music video she was in, where she was particularly uh, bendy, writhing. <laughs> okay, good. I, know, I, I never found her that attractive. She's all right. Time. Yeah, she's fine. I'm sure F- FHM named her the sexiest woman in the world multiple times, probably. I think, I think she was, wasn't she? No, yeah. but never really did it for me. No. She she was famous for her, for her bum, isn't she? Why? It's not <laughs> that special, is it? She got, I think she made big bums a thing. And then, she have two arseholes or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then Kim Kim Kardashian took it to the next level with her big bum. Isn't her is hers not synthetic? No. Well, apparently she's been X rayed on keeping up with the Kardashians and proven there there are no there's no augmentation. Oh. Nice. Okay. There's no inserts essentially. You it, sucks. Is, it is a thing. Yeah, I've seen people who've had it. I've seen someone, and she, I think she was on Geordie Shore, and she could turn it round. What? The implant. What? <laughs> what? Not her bum, her implant. So, like, you know, it was basically, it kept turning itself because it wasn't sitting properly. Turn around. So it was, right. on one side it's flat, and the other side is, is round, and it would go around so that she could flip it round to the flat side. So her bum was flat. I'm sure they're not. Andy, if you need to lean against the wall for any length of time, yeah. shift it over to the flat side. <laughs> Good God! Yeah, so it's not. Yeah, it wasn't supposed to be able to turn around. I don't think. Not mm. a design feature. No. You spin me right round, baby, right round like an awesome plant, baby, right round. I feel a jingle coming on. Oh, sick. No, I've no time for jingles anymore. Take too long. Feel free to submit your own jingles. Yeah, that's something else you can do. Yeah, put them in the Discord. Yeah. <laughs> you can, I think you can upload one megabyte. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the bad thing about Discord. Like, I couldn't. I tried to upload a video once of Zeus snoring. Yeah. And it just wouldn't happen. Wouldn't no, you need you need to unlock Nitro, don't you? Oh, I don't And know. pay for it, basically. Oh. Ah, paywall. Can you not get that free with your, in, your life insurance, Ben? <laughs> not free not. No. They're Discord-related freebies. That's terrible. <laughs> um, okay, should we do uh, the most patriotic steak ever? 
proceed. Yes. Seaside Dad of Three cooks most patriotic <gasps> steak ever in the shape of the United Kingdom. Oh. Oh. A Teesside Dad made a dinnertime discovery whilst frying an enormous rump steak with a familiar outline. <laughs> Nigel. Mm-hmm. What's Sorry, no, he's just, he's just um, playing this stuff I'm waiting for an desk. image. <sighs> Nigel Cooper. Is there an image coming? Nigel Cooper from Middlesbrough <laughs> cooked the most patriotic steak in the country when he flipped it over and spotted the instantly recognisable outline of England, Wales and Scotland. The self-employed joiner whipped out his phone and took a quick snap of the belly-busting 16-ounce Big Daddy steak sizzling in the pan. And here's the photo. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> what do you think? I think he's been um, oh particularly extravagant there <laughs> with, with the seasoning. He's ha- He's got... One, two, three, four, five pieces of thyme on there. Wow. wow. That is going to be so tasty. Nice shit. I mean, it's kind of there, isn't it? you got the basic. There's Northern Ireland. Where's the rest of Scotland? Um, <laughs> that's not the point, Ben. Trick of the camera, I think. Yeah. I think it, obviously in the flesh it would have looked. Uh, yeah. Sometimes cameras lie. Um, he wolfed down a large portion, but admits he was defeated by the massive slab of meat, leaving Scotland to be enjoyed as a starter the following evening. Nice. Nigel said, I've definitely bagged one of Britain's most patriotic steaks. I don't think anyone could beat that. I noticed the uncanny resemblance, I, after cooking it for a few minutes on one side, and then I flipped it over. What the- it looked like... It looked like Great Britain. I decided to take a photo. My wife wasn't enthusiastic about it, as I was. After picking up the £4.99 steak from the Coolbury Newham branch of Aldi Mm. in Middlesbrough one night, he decided to cook it. Check this out. (laughs) The dad of three let the steak cool to room temperature for an hour before seasoning it with salt, pepper and rosemary. He then plated it up and served it alongside a portion of oven chips, mushrooms, and tomatoes. He let it rest for an hour after cooking. Well, well it's like to make it as dry as possible. He <laughs> let the steak cool to room temperature for an hour. Why? That's why I've put it in italics. Why did he? Why? Do, why did you do that? Uh, let it rest for, are you supposed to let it rest for like two minutes? Yes, if that. Yeah. So it just got cold, essentially. He said, I was really hungry and probably managed to get up to Middlesbrough, but Scotland was left over. Had the rest of it thinly sliced with a bit of sea salt over it as a starter the next date. Oh, God. So have we got the how, the what, the when, the where and the who? For that story, yeah. I think this is an uh, this yeah. is apex journalism. It is, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we've got everything. We the why is missing. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've heat hit. Yeah, why would you leave it for a fucking hour? Uh, yeah, that's the outrageous. That's the worst part of that story. I don't get it. I don't get it. Oh dear. I think we've hit uh, peak journalism. Stop <laughs> now. Just stop. Uh, I can't stop. 
I can't start without uh, telling you the last story. Go on then. Just trying to take a sip of beer. Why are you taking it out of me tonight? I'm sweating. I know. My arms are sweaty. Mom's <laughs> <laughs> spaghetti. Taking it out of me pet. I was trying to channel Jimmy Nail in it. I just couldn't remember what I sounded like. <laughs> Not like that either. It's a tough one, Jory, isn't it? It's a fucking tough one. Oh, maybe if you fucking swear, it comes a bit easier, like, doesn't it? <laughs> Genastic. <laughs> yeah, see, it's working. <laughs> Come here, take Jordy Shaw. It's just fucking swear a little bit. Talk. What the fuck are you saying? Get down with St. James. Just watch a match. Have a fucking pie. Have some free fags. Some free free fags. Yeah. No, I've lost it. I've lost it. I had it. I had it for a split second there, and uh, I couldn't sustain it. It's one of them I think you have to practice or be from the northeast. Yeah. Apologies if I offended anyone from the northeast. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, you probably just. You sorry, know, not sorry. You're not thinking straight because of your sexual assault. Good point. It's the uh, PTSD kicking in. Simply. Can imagine if I was assaulted by Geordie. Yeah. Lightly salted. <laughs> and then left to rest for an hour. Ooh, to room temperature. Can you imagine it? It's cold. It's fucking cold, man. Awful. Yeah. In the northeast. <laughs> it's like fucking minus 10 on average up there, isn't it? Yeah. Be fucking high. Leave it for a fucking hour to get to room temperature. And it's reading it. So let's do the last story. Um, my favourite story of the week. Man jailed for attacking stranger with a seagull. <laughs> now, there are several ways of reading that headline. Yeah. Which is why I love it. Man jailed for attacking a stranger with a seagull. How do you read that? So it could be that he's beaten someone around the head with a seagull. With a seagull? <laughs> or he has trained a seagull to attack people alongside him. An accomplice? Yeah. yeah. Or he's been arrested alongside a seagull. <laughs> Man jailed for attacking a stranger with a seagull. He could be attacking a stranger who has a seagull. Yeah, that's the other thing. Three ways. Yeah. Three way, <laughs> the Trinity. Yeah, shall we find out yeah, wh- which is true? Yeah, which one do you think it is? <laughs> I think he has attacked a, someone with a seagull, a dead seagull. Yeah, attacked someone with a dead seagull, or attacked someone with a dead seagull. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's find out. It hasn't been a good week for seagulls. First, one was killed by a monkey that plucked it from the air at Chester Zoo. Yeah. And now it's been... We saw the video for that. Did we? Yeah, I posted it, didn't I, in the Discord? Oh, I don't know. Some chimp up a, up a telephone pole and he grabs read... the seagull out of the air and starts thrashing it against the pole <laughs> and then starts eating it. Oh. And you just hear the, the wailings, the wailings of the millennial children <laughs> and the, their babies. The horror. Did you drink in them, the tears? <laughs> No, it's like, a, there used to be a Twitter. What was that Twitter profile? It was called like... Um... Lamentations of the Women. <laughs> <laughs> What's good in life? What's best in life, Conan? <laughs> to crush your enemies. See them driven before you. And hear the lamentations of the women. Yes. Uh, no, there was... Um... 
an Instagram or a Twitter page and it was like, it was just brutal nature. It was just, you know, lions ripping heads off things and, you know, or, or uh, sharks ripping the shit out of uh, seals. It's like, well, this is life. Yes. Like, oh, sorry, sensitive, there's blood and guts. Well, this is what fucking happens every day. Mm. You know, we're, we're sort of sheltered from all that mm. in the West. In other places in the world, they see this reality, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, uh, unfortunately. Um, so, uh, bad week for seagulls. <laughs> First one was killed by the monkey that plucked it from the Chester Zoo, and now one has been used to cause grievous bodily harm. <clears throat> yes. Paul Elkham, 29, picked up the live seagull, then threw it at a stranger before he, <laughs> he launched a vicious attack. Kicking and punching <laughs> the seagull or the man. <laughs> Paul Elkham, twenty-nine, picked up the live seagull, then threw it at a stranger before he launched a vicious attack, kicking and punching him. The assault was so violent that he left his victim with a broken jaw. Plymouth Crown Court was told. Is that the seagull Jeez. with a broken jaw? Or the man, <laughs> the victim, <laughs> the victim with a broken jaw. Um, How did he get a seagull? As soon as I come close to them, they just fly away. Speak to you. Oh, is this is in the next bit, is it? No, I don't know. Did he? Did he set up? Did he bait a trap? Did he baste? Did he make his hands into into like sandwiches, and then he could grab one? Purely for the purposes of launching it at a stranger. Yeah. <laughs> I think he just grabbed it by the neck and flinged it. Maybe. A really quick move. Mm. He was on his way home following a two-day drink and drugs bender. Yes. When he came across the seagull, which was lying in the road injured. Oh. Uh. He then started showing it to people in a nearby <laughs> shop. Before throwing it at his victim. As a result of the random attack, he was jailed for over a year and was given another two weeks for failing to show up to his trial. You let's see a picture that was taken. Of a seagull. Of, uh, no, the uh, the perp. Nice, looks like a nice guy. It's not what I was expecting, to be honest with you. What were you expecting? Like, Full-on tramp mode, basically. Oh, I can't tell if that's his hair or his hood, and then it's just like a mullet on the, on the left-hand side as you're looking at it. It looks like he had small, small dainty hands. Yeah. How old is he? 33, was he? 29. 29. Old enough to know better. Yeah. Nah, 29. Mm. Men don't grow up till they're at least thirty, in my, in, in my view. Yeah, it's a rite of passage chucking a seagull at a stranger after a two-day bender. Yeah, seems to be. Yeah. Right. Well. Oh, it's been a pleasure as ever. Five to eleven. So did we do it, didn't we? Yeah. Done it. Well done. Yes. Bed, bed for ten past eleven. Mm. Get some sleep in for my long day tomorrow. You got a long day tomorrow. Monday's always my long day. Why? Because I see, I have to see people after hours. We can really? mess. Why couldn't you move that to like the hump day? 
Yeah. I thought I think it's better just to do it at the beginning of the week and get it out of the way. Really? Yeah. You have to do it once a week. Yeah. See two people out of hours, yeah. Oh man. Mondays. Just I don't like Mondays. I'm with uh, Tell me why. The Boomtown rats. <laughs> yeah. That one. Yeah. Keep them as short as possible. No, yeah. I don't like Mondays either. Yeah. It's my it's my beast to go into beast mode. <laughs> on Monday. Beast their their minds. I beast everyone's minds, yeah. Yeah. Good. It's good. Mm. Well, what time are you going to finish? Tomorrow. Probably about half seven. Oh, oh God. And then Early to start nine. Yeah, officially. Oh. Horrible. What are you going to do for your tea? I just got two sandwiches from Tesco. What? What, are you not at home? No, it's my day. Oh, my you've day. got to go to work. Actually, got to go to a place to fuck see people. Right. So you've got to get something for tea. What time are you going to have your tea then? Probably about three o'clock. What time are you going to have your dinner? Pardon? What time are you going to have your dinner? Probably about 12. Gosh, that's not much of an interval, is it? No. I won't bother. I just fill up on bread. It's the best yeah. thing to do. Well, it is Monday, so mm. I think you you enjoyed a, a, an indulgence of carbs yeah. when you're doing a long day on a Monday. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I was trying to find something funny to finish with, but I can't think of anything. So. Einhorn is Finkel. Yeah. Shall we go then? Fuck off into the night. Yeah. Yeah, let's. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, yeah, see you next week, everyone. I'm sure it's going to be good next week. I can't off the top of my head remember who it is, so right. you're going to have to tune into the Discord and yeah. find out. We'll find out tomorrow who's coming on next week. Grace Jabalon. Epstein didn't McAfee himself. Yeah. <laughs> Gislaine did it. Okay. Are you entertained? Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Good. Thank you. I love you. Epic dub. You you are extremely cool, guys. I am the Pope. <laughs> See you next week. We're just trying to keep people safe. COVID. <clears throat> you only know the old adage. In the beginning. Two million people have to die. I'm literally a communist. Come on, man. It also holds poor Al Gore accountable. The most ambitious environmental justice agenda ever. What the farage? What on earth? Vroom, vroom, rah, rah. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. What did you do with Big Jungus? I never sucked any ding dongs. Disqualified. You know what? Oh, fucking ass, face fucking cat. No, we know the old adage. Time to that offensive you. Head out to fucking you. How dare you? I'm the son of the Pope.